are listening to Boku No Stop, an anime podcast that can only be made when we have the same feeling in our hearts. I'm your host, Matt Marcus, and my pronouns are he, him, and with me is... Sybil Arnett, she, her, and Keyblade Master. <laughs> nice. Uh, Karen Malady, uh, any pronouns, but if uh, you don't want to pick, you can fall back on they, them. I'm a writer on deep-hell.com. Uh, and I also wrote the video game Dear Future, and maybe ones in the future if things go well. Well, who knows? Yeah, welcome, new host for this uh, season, because uh, Chris just, you know, couldn't handle dealing uh, about a show about women. Go figure. Hmm. Nobody is shocked based on his Evangelion opinions. <laughs> it's true. Uh, anyway, we are here to talk about. The Anime Flip Flappers, uh, episodes one through three for this one. And uh, I don't believe there are any specific content warnings. Uh, is there anything to probably call out? Probably not, other than just general anime fan service that is unnecessary. There's some skirt flipping. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's... Oh, God, Buchan. We're going to have to talk about Buchan at some point. Um, yep. Yeah, so this is a really interesting anime because it's one of the more rare anime unique Yuri titles. It seems like the majority of them are either anime adaptations and like get like one season and stop halfway, or they're like an Ikuhara thing where they're doing the anime and the manga at the same time. But this is neither of those. This was an anime only property. And it was uh, created by Studio 3 Hertz. Uh, the director was uh, Kiyotaka Okiyama, and it aired from October through December of 2016. When I looked this up, it said it was created by Pure Illusionist as, as a credit. And as far as I can tell, that is just a completely, like, fictional name to make yeah. it seem more interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's definitely some obfuscation by cool name thing. I think that's what it says on the actual Blu-ray. Hold on. Uh, yeah, that's what I saw on the Wikipedia page, I believe. Yeah, I got that uh, from that name specifically from the... Uh, if y'all are familiar with the uh, uh, Anime Feminist or Anifem, uh, they covered... They, they did an episode of their podcast, uh, Chatty AF, on Flip Flappers, and so that's where I got that name from. But also, they've... Uh, done some interviews with uh, with this person and they referred to them as the director. So mm. that's where that's coming from. Uh, but the one notable thing about the production of this uh, series, there was a bit of a trouble in the middle of it. Uh, the first uh, five or six episodes were written by Ayana Yukino. And uh, she has a lot of writing credits on a lot of different things. But like, interestingly enough... Um, Ohiyama pointed out that, like, oh, this is great. We have a Yuri veteran uh, on our staff because uh, Yukino uh, wrote for a few episodes of Sweet Blue Flowers, the uh, anime adaptation of Sweet Blue Flowers, which is also a Yuri. But when you look into the credits, she actually only wrote, like, three episodes of that show. So it's kind of like giving her a lot of credit for not a ton of experience in that field. Not that it matters all that much. 
Look, but it's yeah. sort of like the games industry thing where Epic Mickey is Warren Spector's baby, despite the fact that all he did is come in and do concept art and get checks from Disney. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think an uh, interview said she was responsible for a lot of the tone uh, being eerie, yeah. but also that, like, there are some things that the show does that kind of, like, break away from things that you're, like, quotation marks, supposed to do when creating a Yuri. So, mm-hmm. uh, I guess it kind of makes me wonder if that was, like, involved, or she was only there to kind of help establish this tone, or, like, what exactly happened. But I haven't seen yeah. any answers for that. Like, the vibe was that she left under some kind of duress. Mm-hmm. Like, she wasn't supposed to leave. And oh. that kind of helped screw up the... Uh, the way things went but she wrote the first three episodes and then wrote episode five and six and then she got replaced by hayashi naoki who is notably ayana yukino is a woman hayashi naoki's a man mm-hmm. i don't know if that's worth noting but it's just something to look out for as we like go through these episodes that like the first two we're recording here are going to be a different writer than the than like the other two episodes we're recording on this show uh, and that's half the series, right? Was it 12 episodes or 20-something? 13. 13, okay. Yeah, it was a one-core, one-season thing, and then it was complete and then, you know, finished. And then nobody talks about it again. <laughs> <laughs> this was, this kind of fell into the memory hole in a lot of ways. Like, I don't know. Like, I could see someone who's, like, kind of into Kill a Kill, like, find this and be like oh this has similar some similar vibes to it so when i was watching this i was watching it originally weekly and i remember seeing a big uh twitter thread on like some of the symbolism of the show and like i came out of that thinking like oh maybe this is gonna be something to fulfill that like gap like utena left in my heart yeah yeah um there have been basically a lot of my like introduction with like a lot of like really just visually experimental kind of queer adjacent anime as being like i hope this is going to be utena again i've since given up on that but during flip floppers there is a there was still that like kind of lingering hope that i just like get a utena again in my life yeah it does not reach that level of height or depth yeah (laughs) utena does yeah i think the only thing that's really come close and even then like stylistically close was a starlight review i've heard good things about that show uh i i liked it i liked it i don't think it's like as in-depth as utena was but utena had a ton of episodes to work with and i don't think yeah a weirder anime like that then is gonna end up in that space again yeah i would say this show is closest to speaking of ikuhara uh very penguin drum vibes in places uh, I could not get through Penguin Drum. I got like an episode and a half in and then there was like, what is it? Like they were trying to be framed for being perverts or something. I'm like, okay, no, I'm just, I'm out. (laughs) I might go back to it, but uh, what a weird show. Yeah, I have complicated feelings on that one as well. I've I've had some conversations with some friends a few years ago that have made me want to revisit it, but I've not actually taken that dive because there's like two... Two, one or two elements of the show that just were really off-putting that I powered through, yeah. and I'm not sure I want to again. Good mm-hmm. news! You're going to get to get all the discourse in Hyperdrive when the uh, remake comes out this year. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, yep. there's a remake? Oh, they're doing Rebuild of Penguin Drum, basically. Why? 
Yeah, I think it's two films. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I guess finally the adolescence of Penguin Drum. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, before that, you know, I, I, I haven't watched all that much Ikuhara. I've pretty much just watched uh, their episodes that they did of uh, Sailor Moon and Utena, and that's and then like two episodes of Penguin Drum, and that's it. Like I've read the Yurikuma Arashi manga, but I've not watched the show. Like it's on my list, and I know they're very, very different. Uh, I watched uh, that uh, for a few episodes. I think I dropped it at the time, but it's also another thing I've been considering, like revisiting again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, back to flip flappers. Uh, the one interesting thing that is just very funny, given this network, is that Ayana Yukino also wrote the script for the Final Fantasy fifteen prequel anime Brotherhood which we've covered on lightning strikes the rice. And that was a surprise. Mm. <laughs> it's okay. It's perfectly fine. Not it's weirdly anti-monarchist. Yeah. Considering that like every other part of that series is about, you know, <laughs> noblesse. The divine right of Kings. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's very funny. Anyway, uh, music in the series was composed by Tomas, except for the OP, which is a song called Serendipity by the artist Zach, Z-A-Q. And uh, what a fucking banger of an intro track. Oh, my God. Incredibly catchy music all throughout this. Oh, yeah, yeah. The music is solid all the way through. And uh, Zach later has a song that's the edit credits for, I think, only one episode. But, yeah, the majority of the music is made by uh, Tomas. And uh, you can currently watch it streaming on High Dive or if you buy the Blu-ray through Sentai Filmworks. And let's be real. Pick it up through Sentai Filmworks because this thing is regularly on sale for 10 to 15 bucks. Yeah, I bought it on a whim because like, I wasn't sure we were going to cover it for this show just yet. But I'm like, that's so cheap. Like, I'm already paying 50 bucks for the Bloom Into You box set. I might as well throw on another like $15 and grab this. Sentai is the only publisher where I will just randomly throw a Blu-ray into my cart when I'm purchasing things from them because mm-hmm, it'll mm-hmm. be, okay, okay, where I'm going to buy this volume, I'm going to buy this Pat Limber box set, and that, would you look at that, $5 for DD Fist of the North Star. We're doing this. <laughs> is that why you'll message me and be like, I just spent $1,000 on anime DVDs? Yes, but... <laughs> In my defense, some uh-huh. of that some of that has been pitched up by the fact that I now have a figures budget. Yeah, the figures will definitely eat into that budget. Jesus Christ, they're so expensive. And Did you know terrible. that they're making a best girl version of that horny Neptunia figure I bought? It's true. A what now? Oh, for, for Vert. For the record, I do not. I own exactly one anime figurine, and it is a Funko Pop of... Ray Hino, you know, Sailor Mars, that was given to me by a coworker as a gift. Uh, and that's <laughs> otherwise like, man, the whole anime figurine scene is just so fraught to me. <laughs> and it's so expensive. This is Vert. She's like me. She loves tea, boobs, and women. And also BL games. Hmm. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. That is 
definitely an anime figure. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, this takes us into covering the show. Let's start with episode one, Pure Input. So you, do you know what you're in for pretty quickly when the first shot is a <laughs> clock that is both an hourglass and the version of the two faces staring at each other, optical mm-hmm. illusion, that is just yeah. counting down the time while children are in cram school. We are mostly focusing on a young lass who has a blue pixie cut and a yellow hairpin, very intent on taking her test. She might be the only one, given that there are children in this room who are sleeping or just staring off into space. I don't know if they only animated the one who is Coconut, but we'll see. Across, I don't know if it's town. They are a little weird on spatial relativity with uh, where this place is. There is an alarm ringing in a tunnel, and a young girl named Papika, who is running around with crimson hair, and just... Okay, she's straight out of Eureka 7 right now. She's got the surfboard, she could be on the Nervosh, nobody else knows what this means, but goddammit, it's just straight up. I'll show you a picture when I'm not talking later. Like uh, even another, even down to like the the plug suit that kind of looks more yes. like a holy rail. shit like I'll show you what it looks like on that show. Okay. The, this is such a stolen design. So, homage, homage design. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's homage when it's fancy. Yes. Yeah, the design element of the show is very uh, just patchwork from just all over like anime history. Um, it's really just like a big anime soup. Once we start getting into individual episodes that are doing genre pastiches, it's much more clear, but in this first one, it's harder to place anything. Yeah, because, like, you have this surfer character introduced in a town that looks like it's out of this, like, German fairy tale, right? But, like, at the same time, it's contrasting that with, like, uh, Corona, like, is it Corona? Kokona. Kokona. I think the names mean chocolate and paprika, I believe, but I don't yes. remember Kokona. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, uh, she's like very like she seems like a very immediately kind of just like bored with her life or very like strict and reserved. But then you kind of have this explosion of color that's happening around her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- this is very much a pairing of opposites, uh, and <laughs> you you could say like a very clear metaphor for puberty right kokona is a very reserved ami mizuno sailor mercury cram school genius type or at Mm -hmm. least that's what it looks like she's younger but she's on that path and papika sets fires yeah (laughs) exactly so speaking of setting fires papika hops onto this surfboard in the tunnel is being yelled at on the pa system because you you can't go out looking for candidates alone. It's terrible. Doing it on foot is just not efficient. And we briefly see a girl who may or may not be dead on the floor in a uh-huh. totally not a plug suit. And Papik is just like, you were wrong last time. It's my turn. And like, we never find out anything about this other girl. Like, this is all we get. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Jesus. 
Um, yeah, then from there, it kind of starts introducing the, um, uh, what, what would you call it? Like the kind of like bridge of a mech anime, almost kind of like center of characters, right? Um, like the uh, kind of like technical team and uh, glasses nerd kind of scientist guy, like the like kind of like cooler looking lady and then a, the mysterious benefactor, mad scientist, uh, Dr. Salt. Uh, mm. He's kind of like if uh, Kataro Tatsumi from Zombieland Saga was Gendo Akari. <laughs> Um, you kind of have that, like, almost, like, butler kind of, like, vibe in his, like, outfit with that very, like, kind of, like, trim figure. And, but he's got, like, the kind of, like, uh, intensity of expression that kind of Gendo has in that, like, I'm manipulating everything kind of vibe. But, like, you know nothing about him. It's just a cool kind of, like, flash. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He's always in a suit. He always has sunglasses on, even though it's dark in the room. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um which, you know, ha- always having sunglasses on is very uh, Kataro Tatsumi. Uh, and, uh, you know, Papika uh, just, like, flies out. It seems like she uh, works for them. Um, and uh, she, like, flies over the nearby town. So we kind of have this, like, brief meeting of Papika and uh, Kakona. Um, jumps into, like, the OP immediately, which is big, uh, you know, big kind of, like, J-pop energy with, like, kind of, like, the classic kind of, like, sense of character and, like, anime cuts you can expect from, like, the opening that gets the kind of, like, action and emotions kind of down. You see a mm-hmm. brief flash to some Ku, uh, Ku Klux Klan-looking motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, um, and they they make an appearance. Yeah, and then it you know kind of just goes on as normal. So yeah, the the song is like I don't know what to call this style of J-pop because it's extremely maximalist. Mm, yeah. Like it, it's got those like like bro step drums that are like super super loud and compressed, and like big like rave synth uh, lines on it. Like the thing is, it's a great ninety second track. If you go and watch like. The, the full music video this song is almost five minutes long and it's exhausting <laughs> yeah does it like just keep up that energy the entire time there's like a quiet bridge for like 30 seconds okay that's not enough for a five minute song <laughs> but it, it just smacks you in the face though like it's great for like yeah this opening super high energy good key changes and stuff like big chorus uh, and like the lyrics are all like you know, oh, you don't think very much of yourself, but I'm here to support you, you know, help you find your dreams, et cetera, et cetera. It's very, you know, indicative of the relationship of the main characters, et cetera. But anyway, after that, uh, we see the blue-haired girl, whom we've already named, uh, her name is Kokona, and she's still in her uh, school uniform, and she's floating down a foggy river in a rowboat, and the robot's got a little, like, flower-shaped lamp on one end. And on the other side of the boat is a girl in a nightgown who's facing away from her. And she kind of looks like that, uh, again, talking about optical illusions, the one of, like, the young girl or the old lady kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. She's in the same pose. And uh, so this girl's in a nightgown facing away. And Kokona asks, uh, who are you? But without turning around, the mysterious girl says, uh, Oh, Kairi, welcome home. 
Uh, yeah, and, sorry. Uh, the flower lamp that you mentioned, like, uh, that, that I think it brings up, up a good point about the show is that there are just so many small details with how designed, quotation marks, or capital D uh-huh. designed everything, like, is in this show, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of, it feels like there's a lot of consideration here that I feel like I'm missing a lot of context when I watch this show. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we'll talk about the rabbit when we talk about the rabbit, but like, that's a whole, like, literally a rabbit hole to go down. (laughs) Uh, But Coconut wakes up in a room and is greeted by her grandmother, who sits in a motorized wheelchair. And funnily enough, I I did watch the dub. I'm usually a subs only guy, but I watched the dub for this and the grandma is played by Tiffany Grant, which I thought was pretty funny. It's like one of the handful of people whose names I know when it comes to anime dubs. It's like three people. It's like three For those who people. don't, Asuka. Yeah, she played Asuka. <laughs> and also, she's kind of uh, kind of crazy. Uh, she played Asuka, but also she kins Asuka. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I... Yep. Yeah. Okay. Go on. Uh, Kokona was apparently up late reading things on her phone. Uh, they don't translate what it is. We find out pr- later she's looking at schools to apply to because she is a third year in middle school and she's about to take her entrance exams to go to high school. Uh, we see a brief shot of a seemingly empty rabbit cage. Uh, the rabbit is there, but you probably didn't notice it. And at breakfast, uh, Kokona asked her grandmother, uh, where should I go? And uh, her grandmother doesn't really catch the question, but Coconut just says, oh, never mind. And we see a shot of Coconut straightening out her skirt in the mirror before heading out to school. And uh, note that she has a green bunny charm hanging from her bag. Uh, it's kind of interesting because Kokona's home life. The show really wants to focus on the more fantastic things happening, but every kind of brief glimpse we get into it is like extremely telling while be also being like incredibly brief mm-hmm. uh, karen have you watched this show before well you said you were watching it week to week right uh, yeah i watched it week to week when it came out and then this is my first time re-watching it in a long time okay okay yeah because i mean i'm not gonna say anything but like watching this show again uh, is very interesting from what you learn about coconut mm-hmm. yeah uh in town coconut gets caught behind a train that came directly out of some other cgi production uh-huh. and as she's chilling papika just jumps the tracks on the hoverboard flying over the train uh, she turns around the two have a longing love at first sight glance and I know mm-hmm. I occasionally get crap on this network for saying I'm reading too much into the relationships between no, women, but there's a, this there's one's a intentional. Here. No, it's very clear that, like, yeah, like, <laughs> there's 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 something to this one. Um, yeah, I think uh, the the uh, interview I read describes this show as having quotation marks Yuri elements, and also the the writer for the first half of the series was a Yuri writer, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people talk about this show like it's not a Yuri, and I don't quite get it. Uh, like, it seems, like okay, they're like, I don't know if I should just spoil. There's no on-screen kiss in this entire series. 
but come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um, uh, kind of interesting. There are some points related to that I can definitely make as we go on, and yeah, uh, it's also interesting because like uh, conceptually, originally the show was going to be like a sci-fi adventure series. But the Yuri elements were kind of brought in by the the writer, from what I understand, and then the magical girl elements were brought in by the like <laughs> they were like, oh, this show needs more action, basically, and like from the uh, more corporate side of things, basically. Uh, so a lot of the kind of like stylistic core was the uh, just director kind of leaning into like his own inclinations, but then it kind of just got compounded on by these external elements to become something different. Yeah. And I think gives it both a very unique identity as both a like Yuri anime and a magical girl anime because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a sci-fi anime. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's such a weird, yeah. Like when when the magical girl stuff first comes in, I mean, like for the record, I'm not a huge magical girl guy. That's just not really the vibe I always go for. But and like to me, when I first watched this, I thought it was like, why is this here? It's just kind of making things worse. But it does make it really unique. It does kind of stand out because of its weird mishmash. But yeah, it definitely feels like there were like competing interests that kind of smushed all of this together uh it's like kind of like a pretty cure riff almost because like instead of like literally like you know the uh magical girl names instead of being cure are pure right oh yep. yeah it is that is true the whole pure yuri thing i didn't even for whatever reason that didn't penetrate my brain mm -hmm. but yeah this definitely has like a lot of purity is like the word pure is Every episode starts with the word pure. It's pure X, pure Y. Yeah, and I think... And we're going to pure illusion. Yeah, and their, um, uh, their magical girl names, I think. I don't remember exactly what they were, but they're, they, they're like, pure blade was one of them, I think. But they're, like... Yeah, pure, pure blade and pure barrier. Yeah, Correct. so it's kind of like the, like, kind of, like, uh, naming convention you have for, like, the pretty cure anime. Uh, so uh, the director, I think, like said uh he wasn't as familiar with magical girl stuff when he was like making this but i think it kind of makes sense almost to why it would lean into that because it's like okay magical girl you know i think of pretty cure which is just in insanely long running like children's like anime mm -hmm. so like having that immediate kind of grounding point for the genre makes sense and i think the way it approaches the action in the show is very in line with what I know of Pretty Cure and how it handles action without having really seen a lot of it. Okay, because I, I haven't seen any of it. Sybil, have you seen any Pretty, Pretty Cure? Cure, from what I understand without having seen it, it has a lot of what I'm going to call Magical Girl CQC. <laughs> Just okay. as an overview, Pretty Cure is the feminine half unofficially part of a block called superhero time which for years now has been sentai common rider and then directly after that even though it's not in the brand pretty cure comes in where it's basically a sentai for girls the difference is it's animated so it can't do the crossovers as much not that it stopped them from doing a rider and pretty cure crossover recently that was a thing so yeah, uh, Pretty Cure is one of the up there Toei properties in the genre. 
it you know it still gets the yearly series it gets a refresh it gets a new cast but it's it's neither fish nor fowl being that it's just different enough that they can't lump it into the same block even though it has a lot of the same conceptual everything Hmm. It's pretty good. A lot of it is coming over at this point. Uh, it just has a weird localization choice. I think it's Flower Force or something. I forget what they renamed <laughs> okay. it to. And they started bringing it over a little less adulterated. And it's just like, yeah, this is Pretty Cure X. This is Pretty Cure Y. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as the train kicks off, uh, we see Papika standing on a bus awning while Kokona has been well, carted we, off we, by we, her buddy. We, we skip the bit, like, after they, they lock eyes, uh, this robot slams into Papika and they fall uh, behind the train. And then when the train is gone, they're gone. Yes. And, and that that's when we see that they land yeah. on a bus awning out of sight. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, we have... All kinds of weird children who we are going to find out later are all key characters, but right now it's just, oh, this is Kokona's friend, Yayaka, who's like, no, we gotta get to school. And Papika is going to be stared at by two weird twins who totally aren't going to come back at the end of this batch of episodes. <laughs> gotta love it. Uh, yeah, Yayaka's interesting because we're kind of like introduced to her, uh, immediately with that like uh with kakona um uh just basically talking to a teacher and kind of showing that she has these like struggles with school and picking out things that she needs in her future and she runs into a yayaka who is like she's kind of somewhere between like the like gayaru type but in the, like a fashionable sense, but also like the kind of like punk delinquent kind of girl. Yeah. She has a very immediate kind of rude kind of gesture, even though she seems to be friends with uh, Gakona, right? Yeah, she's the girl who's sleeping in the mock exam. Yeah, at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, but she, she's got a very distinctive look because she's got, uh, you know blonde hair with pink highlights and is like wearing her bangs up in a like a little um like scrunchie like i don't know what to call that look but i've seen it like several times yeah. in manga and anime like that particular hairstyle like with the the little front ponytail thing or top top knot i guess i don't it's know it's like a side ponytail but it's kind of high up right yeah 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 it's just like keeping her hair out of her eyes yeah um and then... Oh, is that what that's for? <laughs> Shit, I should have stolen that look. Uh, yeah, so she's, like, also in kind of, like, keeping up with this kind of, like, immediate kind of appearance for her. She's, like, pretending to be sick while Kakona is, like, worrying about her school life. You know, they have that brief meeting and before uh, splitting just to establish the dynamic between these two characters. Mm-hmm. Um... And then uh, a lot of it is just, like, uh, Kakona wandering her school. Like, there's, uh, like, a student. uh, There's, like, a lot of, like, conversation she's passing. There's, like, a student who's, like, painting. 
There's a soccer game. There's a conversation on a bench. There's like a blocked like path off to the the woods or something, but she just like goes through it anyway until she finds uh, a like large uh, concrete pipe to just um, be alone at. If I the guess. pipes from Mario were at human scale. This is what they'd look like. Uh, in, like, yeah. the Brutalist Mario. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd play that. Yeah, it's like, it seems like it's a pipe, but also just seems like it's made of pure, like, concrete. Almost, like, it's like if someone just left a piece of construction equipment in the middle of the woods. Which, I mean, I've lived places where that's very much a thing. Um, but it's kind of interesting because uh, the town itself is so notable for its visual lack of urban decay because it's just such a bright, like I said, German fairy tale kind of like vibe to the uh, architecture mm-hmm. and the kind of rolling hills that the town seems to be built on. Uh, so this location in its kind of like normality really stands out. And in the the, the, the way that it stands out, this is where uh, Kakona really meets uh, Papika for the first time as she's, uh, you know, looking through a list of schools. It says it's uh, Yayaka's list in the notes, but uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when when she was in the um, nurse's office, Yayaka is like, "I sent you my list of schools. Yeah. If you want to just pick the one I'm going to, right?" And yeah, <laughs> and she's going through this list, and she's like, oh, "One of them's an all boys school." Yayaka, are you paying any attention? <laughs> Yeah, that is kind of an interesting uh, character detail. I think if you really wanted to, like, latch onto it, it could lead to, like, a trans reading of one of the characters in the show, but I'm not fully sure, because that's, like, a detail I don't think I even, like, noticed. Um, yeah, I, I think that the takeaway is just that Yayaka doesn't care. Yeah. Really. She's giving off the appearance that, like, she doesn't care about school, she doesn't care where she goes, she's just be- making putting random schools on a list because it's a school like she she's just not a she's the opposite of what uh, kokona is who's like the honor student who's very reserved and like very focused on performing well uh it's kind of interesting because a lot of people like both yayaka and like uh papika both kind of exist directly as contrasts to kokona who's more really uh early on kind of defined by her like differences to these characters specifically than any specific thing. Yeah. And I think that triad and the contrast between them becomes more interesting as the show goes on, mm-hmm. as we learn more, especially if we learn more about uh, Yayaka specifically. So just since we're discussing all three of them at the same time, I have begun classifying them on a law neutrality chaos axis. <laughs> Where, well, let's see. Kokona is straight up. The good girl works in the system, incredibly orderly, hates all this shit that they're dragging her into. Mm-hmm. Yayaka is trying to put on the airs of being someone who's very, oh yeah, I'm a punk, I'm tough, I'm a rebel, but doesn't go in as hard on it when pressed. And again, Papika is a very magical, whimsy girl who would absolutely set fires in real life. Uh. So, yeah, Papika is almost like pure id, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, 
You can even like, like that was yeah. that was exactly what I was going to describe her as is like <laughs> it's apologies to Sybil for using Freud terms, but like, uh, <laughs> uh, well, but yeah, yeah, Papika very very impulse driven. So this isn't actually like super apparent, but this, there's a lot of like psychological elements to like what this show is doing. So the kind of like the if you consider these characters like a, the main kind of trio, they definitely kind of have this split between like id ego and super ego almost but uh mm -hmm. i think uh as opposed i think as opposed to like uh i think if you were to look at it right you'd have like uh you know obviously pika as id but kakona is kind of more of this like super ego the very like this is how i present to society kind of person whereas like yaka kind of mm -hmm. just exists as this like i am myself kind of like attitude that she's trying to put put forth i think mm -hmm. yayaka rides the line between someone who could grow up to be very well adjusted and comfortable with themselves or just a perpetual disaster crisis of faith at all times mm -hmm. um but yeah the main takeaway i think from this scene as far as uh, kakona and papika go is that papika is just immediately kind of instantly attached to kakona like uh she's instantly curious about her she's instantly uh in her face like even like sniffing her i think just like yep. yeah there's a lot of sniffing um <laughs> it's one of her things yeah yeah kakona is a very smell-based person i guess um so there's there's kind of this element where like you don't really know why she's so immediately like attached and even like kakona herself is just kind of like off put by this mm -hmm. yeah the way i would describe this is that uh papika is uh cuckoo for kokona <laughs> just straight up absolutely a god with her. matt <laughs> what <laughs> um, do not follow your nose up the girl's skirt she doesn't do that, thank God. She's like the one character that doesn't go up uh, Kokoda's skirt, as far as I remember. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we kind of have the transition for this uh, scene, because Topeka's just like, it's time to go, but she doesn't really know what she's talking about at the same time. Yeah. And then the robot rolls up, and says oh yes we're going to pure illusion and then it extends its arms out wraps the two girls up and we get a cut back to the science lab where uh there's a testing montage that uh and for some reason the robot like puts its claws up coconut skirt and she screams so because, we will get uh... <laughs> context for this later but it's not amazing no, there's a lot of, like, the thing that I think is the biggest weakness of this show is the very invasive fan service moments. And it's always made worse by the fact that you remember these girls are like 14, right? Because they're not even in high school yet. Like, first years in high school are like 15, maybe 16. These girls are young. And right. I'm going to yeah. be that one and point out that from a symbology point, it uh -huh. makes sense that a show that is talking about purity yeah. and a lot of discovering yourself, etc., mm -hmm. would also probably have the most uptight character very nervous 
about a space that is just between her legs. <laughs> Especially when it turns out that magic comes out of there. Literal magic. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. That is exactly what happens. There's, anyway. a, there's a whole metaphor here. But yes, cool. early on, it just means that we get a lot of weird robots and villains and things going, I need your shard. Like it's mm-hmm. a bad Sailor Moon porn parody. Uh, there, yeah, there's exactly. like a split between this show between like really hams, uh, clumsily handled adolescent kind of metaphors and like genuinely interesting looks at the character psychology through like yeah. how the show yeah. works. Yeah, th- there are times where the fan service is too well. What you would call the fan service is like at least like through a character's eyes and like has a purpose to it. It doesn't really happen in these episodes, but yeah, this particular bit just feels like, oh, oh God. <laughs> and uh, the robot then, after doing this, uh, confirming whatever it was trying to confirm, uh, jumps in the air into the top of the pipe and out of it splashes a black substance as the girls dive in. And the three of them awake in a dark space and... They have no idea what's going on, but... No, no, no. You missed the part where we finally get the first animation porn as everything is a psychedelic fall with Coconut screaming, Papika hype as hell, and the robot Uh just kind of flip-flapping around. No pun intended. Uh Uh-huh. There's a running gag with the robot. Uh, We haven't really described what it looks like. It's like a box, and it's got, like, four wheels, these two grabby arms, and these long, like, little extendo limbs. And it's got a, like a box for a head and a, and a single eye. And the gag that it often does is that the single eye will show a character that like represents what it's saying or like what, what it's feeling. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of psychedelic imagery in this show. And we may end up glossing by some of it just because it's really hard to describe. Uh, but after all that, they're in a dark space and Coconut is trying to figure out where are we? What's going on? And Papika's like, oh, look over there. And there is an exit out to the light. And they go out there and there is a, they're in a similar area to where the the village was, but it's like a pastoral snowscape now. And then they go into a full montage of like, Coconut's like, oh God, what's going on? I'm trying to figure out what's happening here because none of this makes sense. And Coconut's, they're saying, Papika is just running around in the snow, having fun. And there's a montage of them sort of cavorting around. Uh, like at, at one point, Coconut tries to check her phone and see if she can call her grandmother. And uh, she has no service. And she's like, am I lucid dreaming? What's going on here? It doesn't seem like they're cold. Right. Because neither of them are wearing winter clothing. Uh, no. But and at, one- at about this point, uh, Papika's outfit has changed to the very plug suit Eureka 7 style design with the black rivets. Yeah, yeah. She was wearing some type of cover, like pink coverall over it or like a jacket or something and it just flies off and she doesn't bother to go grab it. It's just gone. Uh, at one point, Coconut face plants into the snow and realizes that it tastes sweet. And she calls Pavika over. They eat a bunch of the snow and Coconut's like, oh, you're going to get sick if you eat too much. But uh, they're just kind of exploring this uh, weird space. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of interesting because I don't remember how explicit the show makes this, but 
this is kind of where we're introduced to the kind of premise of the show is that, you know, each episode they're going to go into a different world, mm-hmm. which uh, kind of gives it this almost magical shopping arcade of Benabashi vibe on top of the, the magical girl and Yuri things happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, also, I don't know how explicit it makes this, but the shows are kind of connected to the psychological themes of the show and are representative of the internal worlds of different characters, although it does not make explicit which world uh, belongs to uh, who, right? So yeah. it's kind of worth asking as we go on, who do you think this uh, world belongs to? And I, I think it even at some point that breaks down and it turns into a much broader thing, but that is, it, it does seem like there is a one-to-one relationship, especially in the early parts of this. Yeah. Or at least uh, well, uh, one particular person who's like influencing this space more strongly than the others. Yeah. I'm, I'm firmly of the opinion this is Coconut, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's frosty. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, it, I, I don't know. Like, I guess so. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I just saw a really good breakdown of this when I like first watched the show that broke down like some of the first few worlds they went in with like kind of some of the symbology that and that was like kind of what really made me like want to stick with the show was that kind of sense of like exploration. But it's been so long that I don't think I could find it again. I'll dig it up before our next episode. Um, yeah. But uh, the uh, first world, like like you said, the snow, it's, like, full of snow, so it has this, like, appearance of being, uh, you know, isolating, cold, kind of lonely. In fact, it's literally a, a destroyed version of the town, as we kind of see. Like, we start, like, mm-hmm. seeing the kind of similar architecture from the town, but it's all just buried, completely buried to the roof in snow. But the snow is like sugar, so it's that kind of contrast between like someone who appears cold but is sweet inside. Mm-hmm. 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 And it's again, also it's extremely pure, right? Because it's you know pure as the driven snow. Yeah, kind of it's pure white. It's very placid. There's it's it's a calm destruction. The the whole thing is absolutely a metaphor for. Kokona, especially how it wraps up, mm-hmm. in my opinion. But I'll look for that uh, discussion you mentioned later, Karen. Mm-hmm. So, at this point, they've been walking around for a while, and then Papika remembers, oh right, I have the cool Nervosh surfboard. So, they hop on that, by which I mean she starts surfing, and Kokona clings on for dear life to the other girl, because she doesn't know what the hell is happening. And this gets them outside of town into the woods. They uh, they fly around. Some shapes start being apparent on the ground, but very, very subtle. Nothing is drawing attention to it yet. We are now in the forest, and Kokona is trying to leave a trail of candies, you know, Hansel and Gretel, except Papika is eating them every couple of steps. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because... They're in a place where all the snow is sweet. Why would you need to eat more candy? Uh, I absolutely get it as someone who would definitely take an offered chocolate drop over mm-hmm. a bunch of sugary marshmallow fluff. Fair enough. 
but like you can imagine the snow is like powdered sugar right like mm-hmm. yeah just pure pure just pure powdered sugar just all the way through mm-hmm. it is by hell if you were to offer me a world of sweetness but it's the the one kind of sweetness that just makes my teeth hurt mm-hmm. ugh. <laughs> oh, you just need to, you know, whip that up with some whole milk, and you got a uh, good whipped cream. Ugh, I also don't like whipped cream. You don't like whipped cream? Oh my god. No, it ruins a good coffee. Well, don't put it in coffee. Well, what else would you put it in? i put it on top of, like, fruit or something. Or, like, a... No, bowl, I just like eat the fruit. Or pie. Uh, I just... I make my pies tart as hell. I am a citrus chef. I like tart, too, but, like... You know, one of the things of, like, me becoming an adult, like, one of those sides to me was that, like, wow, real whipped cream is actually really, really fucking incredible. And it's great that I have a stand mixer and it's super easy to make at home if I want to. Never. Like, before I was like, I didn't care for it at all, but it's mostly because it was, like, Cool Whip and it's not great. Nope. Nope. This is it. This is where I draw the line. This is my Kokona <laughs> moment. <laughs> So but Sim, it, well, we gotta go back to the podcast. We have more adventures to go on. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Nope! Nope! <laughs> Absolutely not. I remember where this show goes, and I don't want to be coconut anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair, fair. Anyhow, it the forest wandering time is weird here so it starts getting dark and the two of them make a shelter for the night we can tell there's no cold here because there's no fire made it's just they shaped a little not quite igloo against a big tree and all the robot Buchan is doing is just holding up a light bulb no fire no heat Papika decides that the moved is not to sleep but we're just going to make some shadow figures on the wall. Look, I made a bird. And Kokona is going, "What where did you bring me? Why are we here? Are we going to are we going to sleep here? What happens now? Is this just my life?" And Papik is just like, "Well, no, no. If I'm with you, it's cool. Cuz tomorrow we're going to go looking for treasure in pure illusion. There are these stones, and if you get a bunch of them, you get wishes." The stones are, they, they smell good. They smell kind of like you as she gets in real close again. And Kokona is sick of this. She's pushing her away and she's about to start going off. It's pretty clear, except. Um, yeah, I will note that the kind of premise pulling things forward is that, you know, these stones grant wishes and you can always trust characters in anime who offer you wishes. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, they... let, me just, let me just look at my watch and, oh yes, that's right. It's Madoka time. Um, yeah, they, um, uh, kind of immediately, uh, jump into an external, like, sense of, like, conflict or there's something wrong. We get introduced to, like, rumbling, the robots, like, what's happening, but, like, the robot's kind of role seems to be to try to act useful, but then just immediately bump into things or, like, get destroyed or something. Like, I don't fully remember the robot doing anything useful ever, but it can fly, which is 
good. Mm-hmm. It's like a flying it, Roomba it's, dog. It's a it's a support class. Yeah. Boochan operates on Batman 66 logic, where if you follow everything about it through, it should be incredibly powerful and unstoppable, but it's instead just here for screwball comedy and just mm-hmm. convenience. And it has shark repellent. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of gla- uh, glanced over this, but, like, uh, when Boo crashes, they're like, oh, what's wrong with this thing? And we see a human brain inside of it. It's not a robot. It's a cyborg, question mark. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Uh, kind of like the, um, uh, there's a thing from Ghost in the Shell where one of the standalone episodes involves a, a cybernetics salesman who uh, I think in the dub had, like, this southern uh gentleman accent and but he's just a brain in a small box like that's his entire body yeah it's like yes yeah it's a cyber brain that like and like inside it's like people are there sort of wasting like they join in and they like sit in a theater and they basically waste away their real life bodies as they like hang out in this space yeah but this like guy he's like a businessman and he operates from like a small metal box the size of like a cat a house cat um and you know we're we're seeing inside this very kind of dog-like robot that there's just a human brain but also this is not a mm-hmm. character that communicates in any kind of like speech so it's just immediately like okay i guess moving on yeah it, it's a very funny comedy beat because they're like oh no what's wrong and they open the top and they see the brain and then like you hear like a pulsing like dun, 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 and they close it and they go what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> like, they just like, like no fat of it. Like, I don't know what happened. Yeah. It's it, like a very Ren and Stimpy cutaway where suddenly the really style is. changes to a much more realistic, goopy look inside. And yeah. then they immediately shut it and resume. Yeah. 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 The show likes to like show you a single wild thing and then just completely move on from that immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And the the interesting thing, too, is that part of the style, and this is always the case, like, if you look at the character's eyes, there's always, like, a little, like, kind of sketchy scratchiness to it, like, behind the color. And it's moments like this where they're trying to, like, emphasize, like, that they're freaked out, that they sort of go heavier on, like, the sketchiness, like, that sort of, like, sketchy filter on top. It's a hatching. Yeah, it's not like cross, yeah, it's like regular hatching. It's not like cross hatching. Uh, And it's like, Times like this where they like really land the joke through that that shading. Uh, yeah, and then it's at this moment we're kind of introduced to the fact that there are uh, monsters in this world, and like these like tree monsters specifically, uh, they get like flung away, and uh, Kakona loses her uh, glasses. Um, but uh, you know, uh, Papika catches both her and Buchan. Um, it on her uh, surfboard. So they're like kind of like flying around trying to uh, get away. Uh, the trees are heading towards uh, a lake, including one that uh, just unintentionally has uh, Kakona's uh, glasses. So it's kind of like a weird, like it's kind of like trying to do a fight scene, but it's kind of weird those trees are like kind of weird monsters they're 
maybe attacking with like tongues or tendrils of some kind. It's unclear, like the biology of these things. Um, but um, if you wanted yeah. a descriptor that makes it easier, sort of imagine the shambling black ooze critter from uh, Spirited Away, but covered in snow. That's the general shape of these. Mm-hmm. And they have, yeah, the, these tongue-like appendages that sort of just whip around in a very wacky inflatable tube man fashion, but they have mm-hmm. a heft to them. Because we see them hitting Papika as she's crawling along one of them trying to reach the glasses. It smacks her around quite a bit. Uh, that was actually like something that was like, really interesting to me. Because like, uh, style-wise, when characters like get hit, it feels like they get hit hard. And given just, just really light, fluffy, kind of immediate vibes, like the weight to characters getting hit in this kind of early like kind of like fight scene feels almost like a little like brutal like a little jarring almost like not necessarily like explicit but like it really makes you feel it when um Papika gets like smacked by something and she's also like you know just immediately covered in those like notable anime like scuff marks like oh I've been like attacked by something but I'm not bleeding but I am scuffed in some way you know Mm-hmm. And, and her uh, plug suit gets torn in places. Yeah. Yeah. Like she, she takes real damage. And like this affects Kokoda pretty strongly later, as we find out. Uh, and uh, 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 Papika really only seems to be doing this to get uh, the glasses that Kokono lost. Like it's, it's that immediately like desire to do things and connect to the Kokona that is driving this. Uh, action mm-hmm. yeah papika has no sense of danger yeah <laughs> like explicitly um kakona just like wants doing it but like you know she uh gets uh she just keeps doing it and like falls into the water with these uh trees tree monsters yeah she finally grabs the glasses and then it goes into the lake yeah so, Buchan drops off Coconut at the side of the lake, which immediately starts to freeze over from the spot where she's standing, which is interesting. Uh, in despair, Coconut shouts Papika's name, and a spot on her inner left thigh glows with a purple light until she basically just goes Super Saiyan 3 with, like, super long purple hair. She bamps her way into the lake... And pulls out Papika as day breaks over the mountains. Uh, when Papika comes around, uh, she shows Kokoda the glasses, which uh, one of the lenses is cracked and like they're all warped out of shape. And I was realizing that some weird shit just clearly happened to Kokoda. Uh, she's like, "What? What happened to you? How did this happen?" And Kokoda's like, "What happened? Oh, oh, oh my God! What's ha-? you know?" She grabs her hair. She starts freaking out. She lets go, and the both, both of them start plummeting back down towards the frozen lake top. And right before impact, they hit the black goop again and are gone. So let's just talk about symbolism again. The yep. giant lake that freezes over at Kokona's touch, which also, when she dives in after her thigh is glowing immediately shoots out a 
blast of water into the air that freezes into a spire, which mm-hmm. she is sitting beside in midair with Papika. Mm-hmm. No symbolism <laughs> whatsoever, especially in that the critters only came in after Kokona started to get really pissed at Papika. Just saying. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, so back in the real world, it is duck. It is dusk now as uh, Kokoda comes to, and she's lying like face down in the grass next to the concrete pipe. With the light on it, this now looks like the kind of clearing where you would find the Master Sword. It's just stuck in yes. the ground, except it's a concrete uh-huh. pipe. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but in her hand is a glowing stone of some sort. Uh, she walks back to the school grounds and she finds Papika. And like right now, it's like, yeah. It is, like, full golden hour, you know, sun rays behind her. Like, it's very romantic mood lighting vibes. And Papika is waiting for her there, and she puts the broken glasses on Kokona's face, which, like, amusingly just kind of, like, she puts it on the face and then it, like, shifts because clearly the frame is broken. And with glimmering eyes, she says, let's go on another adventure. Kokona takes off the glasses, waits a beat, and says no, and we cut immediately to credits. Uh, the credit scene, and I will cut in the music underneath here, is a very pleasant slash horrifying series of fairy tale scenes where mm-hmm. up top, painterly art is showing all these in a scroll, and in the bottom, little cheapy versions of our cast are having bizarre adventures uh, a lot of the time Kokoda is screaming and Papika is pretty chill about it there's one particular loop of animation where Kokoda is losing her shit and like is extremely scared like it's it's a really scary face and like Papika is like on the ground laughing like, like smashing her like fist on the ground yeah. it, I don't think there is any better comparison between these two women than that. it's true and uh, we, we also see uh, a green rabbit who, you know, we're going to pick up on him next episode. But this show also does a lot of after credits. They're not really stingers. They're definitely part of the show. Yeah. I don't know why they add these this way other than they really want you to watch that animated sequence over and over, I guess. Um, I genuinely forgot this show had after credits scenes when I was watching it, so... Uh, I kind of just, like, skipped past them without even, like, realizing until, like, I got to, like, episode three, and I was like, oh, yeah, those were a thing. Yep. Yep, yep, yeah. There's there's a next time on, but that is after usually a little bit more plot. And some of them are really important plot bits. Yes. <laughs> like this pun. Uh-huh. Because Papika is immediately trying to change Kokona's mind, but then she notices the glowing stone, and it's like, she picks it up and does her usual move, which is use sniff on stone. And, oh, this smells like you, Kokona. We immediately cut around to different places in town where we have a black and white ordered temple with a giant spire. Mm-hmm. And also Dr. Salt back at the uh, Papika Research Laboratory. No, that's not its name, but we don't have one yet. <laughs> Just looking at another one he's got on a chain, and he's like, oh, they got themselves a shard. Then a bunch of generic robots that come out of the Unity Asset Store uh, hit Papika with a net gun, chloroform coconut, and the episode fades to black. 
yo, I entirely forgot about that scene. Um, I think when I <laughs> first watched it, uh, that was one of those moments that had me just being like, okay, where the fuck is this show going? Well, and the funny thing is that nothing comes of that. That like you think that next scene, oh, we got to figure out they're going to be captured somewhere. No, no, that's not what happens. <laughs> um, yeah, the show is written in a very episodic way the way you can expect a like magical little show to be written where like one episode is just kind of like one plot and there are ongoing details but the episodes are kind of mostly self-contained um but all of them just kind of like end on weird cliffhangers that when you start the next episode feels jarring like, some of these details do come up, like, over time, but, like, not yeah. immediately when you would normally expect them to. It's not as solid on the continuity. Yeah. In hindsight, this scene makes a lot of sense, and we will have yeah. all the pieces by the end to know what just happened. In practice, this show runs on a lot of dream logic until it starts explaining itself in the back half. Yep. Yep. Um, episode two, uh, pure uh, converter, you know, we starts now. Um, Kakona is uh, waking up. We, sh- we see she has a new pair of glasses and her grandma's in the room. Uh, she seems to be uh, worried about her. Uh, another brief uh, shot of the rabbit cage with the rabbit in it. Um, and then um, Yayaka is waiting for uh, Kakona at her uh, front gate, and the two uh, go to school together with a third uh, unnamed girl. Uh, we will call her uh, Siko. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. On the tram, Kakona is noticing some soreness in her arm, and Siko asks uh, about it. Uh, she screams as a uh, Buchan's uh, head emerges from her skirt, who Buchan is, has just been here, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. uh, no one is happy about this, including us. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, once uh, they do that, they see that like uh, Papika is uh, outside calling for Kokona, just riding on her uh, hoverboard. Which, no one seems as weirded out by the hoverboard as they are weirded out by just Papika as a person. I mean, I think that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, Yayaka also seems to just immediately dislike Papika. Um, and uh, Kakona mm-hmm. just refuses to acknowledge her at this point. Like, very instant uh, cold shoulder. Uh, and uh, Kakona says she's late, but Papika just, like, grabs her and, like, flies her to school. So, carrying on from that Aiko joke that Matt made in the notes, it does kind of work. Kokona is the Seiko here in that both of these women want her, and Papika is a redhead who just vaulted her up the fucking hill towards her school. Well, well, Seiko is referring to the unnamed third girl. Oh, I know that, but I'm saying we actually have that triad. 
I forgot that 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 was more of a reference to Utena. You know, you have Aiko, Biko, and Seiko versus like I didn't even think about Project Aiko, which I have right in front of me. Actually, I should have realized that. <laughs> Had you not made that joke at this exact scene, I wouldn't have put it together. But it's literally just the springing up the hillside to the school. Oh yes, exactly. That you know what you're right. That might be. Who knows? Maybe that's a reference. But anyway, we get the intro, and when we get back from that. Uh, the two land by the concrete pipe in the storage area in the woods, and Papika asks if uh, those guys did anything to you, meaning the like stormtrooper robot dudes. And as far as they could tell, nothing happened, and they even left the stone. Uh, Kokoda notices that uh, from here that Papika has a bunch of band-aids on her, and uh, it starts with a really unnecessarily evasive shot of her like pelvic region which by the way like have like unnecessary like thigh cuts on them it basically ends at like a bikini bottom it's very on top of the cuts doesn't it still have like some of the clothing damage from the last oh yeah there's a little bit of damage on it like they haven't she hasn't replaced her suit uh but papika is still trying to convince coconut to go on another adventure with her but remembering how papika got hurt uh, Kokona just says, why don't you go by yourself? Uh, and Papika's like, I can't go to Pure Illusion alone. Uh, we need two people whose hearts feel the same way at, you know, as each other in order to get there, and that she's not strong enough to do it by herself. Kokona's like, ah, too bad, fam, and then tries to leave. But then Papika grabs her by the waist, and when Kokona asks her to let go, she does, and Kokona just immediately face plants in the grass, which is fun little gag mm-hmm. and uh completely avoiding the question kokoda gets up and does her little like skirt straightening thing again which i thought was a nice touch and uh says that she has to go to class and that papika can't follow her because outsiders are not allowed at school and she'll get thrown out but after kokoda leaves Buchan rolls up and gives a box with a ribbon on it to papika so it's another classroom scene. Only took an entire episode. Mm-hmm. Yayaka is there already, going, what was the deal with that girl? And before Kokona could say anything, she opens her bag and discovers that her pet rabbit has stowed away inside, which there's a lot of questions I have about this, but that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The rabbit's name is Wexkel which is a reference to Jacob von Wexkel, a biologist who developed the idea of the Umwelt, or... No, wait, I'm thinking of... Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of hard to describe, and I don't have the background to do it properly, but basically it's kind of like Pure Illusion, where every creature has their own sort of, like, subjective reality in a way, and that, like, there are others that can observe that reality, but like everyone's just kind of in their own headspace. Like that's a really bad explanation about what Umwelt is, but it's clearly they're making the, the reference here for that reason. Yeah, that actually directly comes up in the uh, interview I read is just name dropping that uh, concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think really gets into the kind of core idea about what pure illusion quotation marks is. There's more to unpack here, and we will come back with more research and a more full-featured explanation in the back half of this show. Mm -hmm. For sure. 
But at this point, before we can dwell on what is to do with the rabbit or if this is going to be another Echo the Dolphin situation, uh, someone walks in who is dressed like a large fruit tart. This is <laughs> Papika, who is in a full-on pink Lolita dress, making all of the scenes as she goes in and just screams, Coconut! Sybil, you can't call a girl a fruit tart. That is extremely rude. If there is any show where we get to call someone a fruit tart, it is the Yuri series where someone keeps grabbing people by the waist and sniffing them. Fair. Yayaka stands in the way, keeps Papika from reaching Kokona, and is like, what the fuck are you doing here? And Papika says, I am a transfer student. That is what Salt told me to say. Um, I am a transfer student. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting because... Um, She's like, uh, what What was my line again? Oh, yeah, I'm a transfer student. Like, she knows yeah. that things will be accepted as long as she plays off an anime cliche, right? Mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't know why that is, but she does know that it's true, even if she seems to be unaware of the context, which is kind of like an interesting yeah. modality to how she acts. And the thing is, she doesn't care about the context. She only cares about being close to Coconut. Mm-hmm. And for what it's worth, nobody makes any call about you are not wearing the school uniform, <laughs> you have no paperwork. It's just like, well, you've said the magic spell. It is very uh, sovereign citizen, libertarian brained. Well, yeah, of course that works. You said the right words. There is fringe on this flag. Uh, it's it's uh-huh. like a, a she's like comes in wearing like a like, uh... you know, it looks like something that would be from Pretty Cure. Yeah. Right? It definitely pretty here, but also a little bit of like, uh, God, I just had the name of it a second ago. Um, yeah, I, I, like, I pegged it as like a like one of the you know that very frilly Lolita thing. I'm gonna let you two describe it because I know what I'd say and it's not appropriate. <laughs> oh no! Now I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> so. Papika walks in dressed like she is in a forced femme sissies comic, and... Ah, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, I, I finally placed it. I was going to say Princess Tutu, which is very much not what Sybil said. Oh, yeah. Very much a different yeah. vibe. Yeah, yeah I, no. I I think, like, the Tutu thing is, like, later on in episode three. No, Princess like, Tutu, the yeah. Uh, anime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, Sorry, I see what you're saying now, yeah. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it's a very, very specific uh, style of dress that she's got. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I like, think full, full trans- of, like stockings and everything. I think and, like, transformed precure protagonist is a good description of this because her hair matches the outfit, which is monocolored. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a there's a montage of the school day. Papika is instantly the target of all the attention of the other girls in school but she keeps trying to get Coconut. Coconut is going behind the school to let Wexkull out of her bag, but it, it, as soon as Papika arrives, instantly hides back inside. Okay, great. So she's like, are you eating lunch out here alone? And the rabbit gets super nervous. Mm-hmm. And like, but, she sniffs the bag first. So she's like, oh, your lunch is in there. <laughs> and it's the rabbit. Uh, the rabbit is doing a thing where it is constantly turning from its standard color of green to a nervous blue in this uh, sequence. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like, and the thing is, we haven't described what 
Uexka looks like, but it, it mostly looks like a round blob with like two ears and enormous red eyes and a tiny mouth. It's really, really like it stands out how cartoonish uh, the design is compared to everything else. Uh, Wexkull is like a slime with bones. I was going to yeah. say like Moogie from Dirty Pear, except smaller and green. Okay. Also visible. I'm going to have to throw all of these things in the show notes just so people have comparisons. <laughs> I, I've never watched Dirty Pear, so... It's, I, it's just killing me because like there's so many things it's drawing yeah. on. This is going to be a fun season for um, all the notes. Yeah, you, you got to at least love that it's a short season, so you don't have to do this for... <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, Moogie is like a silhouette made of fur, basically. Like, it's not mm-hmm. a consistent shape. It's kind of... Imp- Maybe a bear, maybe a dog, and maybe a cat. Um, it's, uh, but it's mostly just this like large shape of fur that is just constantly shifting and only has mm-hmm. three qualities: one large, uh, two ears, uh, and three claws. Mm-hmm. Like most of the time, you see UX skull. Uh, he doesn't have any limbs. It just is a blob. And then occasionally the limbs are there. <laughs> yeah. Like, in certain poses. But yeah, Co- Coconut then tries to go to the bathroom and just get away from Papika. And says, like, don't follow me. And uh, that that's not what happens. Papika uh, is following her in. Uh, Kakana does not like this because Papika has no boundaries. Just none. Nope. Uh, Yaka, uh offers, like, Kona a hiding place, but uh, Pabika's still following. Um, but the, the room just smells uh, bad to her in some way. Uh, Kakona's thankful, but Yayaka's, like, stopping her. Kakona's confused. Yayaka is, like, letting go, but not really explaining uh, her feeling. A lot of just general sundarying is happening. Mm-hmm. And she basically just says, you should tell, like, Pabika to fuck off. Be direct with people like that. Yeah. Uh, then they, uh, you know, leave the nurse's office and Papika is gone. Um, and then we get introduced to another uh, character who is reoccurring. Um, because the uh, painting um, we saw uh, in the first episode, uh, it's being created by this uh She's like a green-haired girl who's quiet, but with like an intense kind of focused aura. Um, she, the painting that she's created looks very like sick. Yeah, it's like very dark and lonely looking um, yeah. painting. It's like a, a it kind of looks like the storage area, or like you know, it, it's a woodsy scene, but all of the woods are painted black and the sky is painted red, so it's very ominous looking yeah and it like stand like the first time you see the stairwell it's off you know to the side of the screen and you probably noticed it being like that doesn't look like a thing that would hang in a school and now they're like pointing direction to it intentionally for what it's worth this girl is iroha irodori Mm -hmm. yes i think we'll be introduced to her more later on but right now it's just this kind of quick flash that's again this moment that is just a sudden 
really stark contrast to the kind of like bright upbeat world around the characters um she's uh kakona doesn't seem to be sure how to feel about it she's uh off put but uh the girl is kind of like saying she's a part of the art club saying you should come check it out i think papika uh arrives again and has found uh kakona with but yeah, the uh, uh, kind of chaos happens. Uh, Kakona's bag is opening, and uh school. How do you pronounce that? Anyway, runs away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pick one way, rolls with it. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the interesting thing about the painting is that Kokona starts to say, "Oh, it's creepy," but and then trails off, and she's interrupted by thoughts of. Her adventure in pure illusion and so she it's kind of mimicking her thoughts on that which is like it's scary but and the the line would be she likes it yeah and uh painting senpai like interrupts her and says you know i i like it too you know referring to the painting and yeah come by the art club um but yeah this is kind of reflecting on her feelings about her adventures yeah, and given that her adventures directly involve people's internal worlds and art is kind of this expression of that, this character is kind of really related to the central concept in a way that we won't really fully know until later. Yeah, yeah, boy. Well, we'll talk about painting senpai later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man, that's... Oof. Anyway, outside on the school grounds, Papika has caught Wexkel and is holding him by the ears. And, uh, like, this is where you can actually see Wexel's, like, full limbs. Like, they actually draw the full limbs. Rabbit's just, you know, hanging their limb. And she's making, like, the Homer drooling face again, and the rabbit, like, shivers and turns blue. Uh, Kokoda scolds Papika for holding the rabbit like that, and so she drops him, and he scurries away behind a nearby statue of the Thinker. And, uh, Nearby, Buchan is also hanging out in the yard. He's just looking at a line of ants. It's off to the side. Then the statue lifts up out of the ground, and beneath it, it, there's a hole, and this vacuum-like apparatus sticks out and starts, like, vacuuming around and sucks up the rabbit down to the tube. Uh, Coconut immediately panics, and uh, she starts to have a brief breakdown where she tells Papaka that I'm I'm tired of this. These kind of things keep happening when you're around. You know why that is? It's because you're so impulsive and reckless. Like, what if you get killed? You won't be able to regret it then. And Papika doesn't seem to even understand the word regret. She's just like, regret? And Kokona just continues tearfully saying that she thought that last time they went on an adventure, Papika was going to die. And says, you know, just leave me alone. I don't want to go on any more adventure. Like, it's just bad news. But then, uh, Papika says that she hears something coming from the tubes of the machine and asks uh, Kokona what the rabbit's name is because she, it's a running gag that she can't remember certain names of things. Uh, and they shout the rabbit's name together down the tube and then there's a weird camera trick here where the camera zooms in or like I forget if it zooms in and zooms out of focus, but like it, it basically zooms and like does like a circular focus thing. And all of a sudden, all three of them, the two girls and Buchan are inside the vacuum somehow. And then 
fall down the tube and they land with kind of like a like a squishy splash effect or, or kind of like a swallow noise. Also, we're legally required to say that, yes, this is an Alice in Wonderland riff as they follow a rabbit down a hole. Yeah. This is the first time we really get into a full-on episode defining animation porn moment instead of just a brief <laughs> transition. Because Kokoda comes to hanging by her outfit in a psychedelic dayglow landscape that looks like you dosed someone's intestinal cilia with LSD. Uh-huh. And it snaps off, drops her to the ground, and then she begins to sprout bunny ears and a tail. Mm-hmm. She calls out for Papika, who approaches her in a giant, overwhelming hug as an Akira-like mass of smiling faces and uh-huh. amorphous blobs. Yeah. There's also the bit where you see different like shapes pop up and they're making different animal noises. Like one does like a cow's uh, like moo and one sounds like a chicken. It's it's real weird. It's it's this is probably a Papika's like personal internal world, uh, mm-hmm. which makes sense because it's so vibrant and colorful and kind of like primal in this animalistic way. But it's also yeah. amorphous and ill-defined. Like, you know, Papika really doesn't have much internal sense of self, almost. Mm-hmm. So I thought that this was the rabbits. Interesting. Like, um, that's, that's Because awful. it's like... Yeah, because, like, they turn into bunnies. Uh, you know, <laughs> Literally turn into bunny girls. That would make sense. I, and, my, and then, my first inclination was uh, Papika because... It could be a bit about jumping into the two main characters, but um, uh, I I actually did actually have this idea that like the first two episodes were made to seem immediately like it was the main characters internal worlds, but like maybe only surfacely looking on that. Like I was like thinking like uh, like kind of just briefly because like it doesn't tell you who the worlds are and it'd be really obvious to go through the main characters first, but then at the same time, you know, this could be the rabbit's world. And the first one could also maybe like be like the grandmother's world. Right. Potentially. So, so I'm going to stick with the first one being Kokona in my read. I definitely think this is Wexkill's world. Yeah. Because I know a later episode very much fits Poppycom more. Um, yeah, I can't remember the later episodes. So I was, I was, wanting to uh hopefully like uh keep that open as we went on but yeah i think that would make a lot of sense yeah especially given like well given how wexkill looks when we run into him here it definitely looks like he's the hero of the like yeah. he, looks he, he has this like kind of like um the max kind of like bunny man yes. look to him Mm-hmm. And uh, the Max is a very interesting comparison because it's one of the few American series I can think of that does anything like what this does in terms of wild animation swerves. Uh, yeah, wild animation swerves. Jumping into internal worlds was also a big theme of the Max, um, even though it's really way darker in that capacity than uh, flip boppers you ever get. Oh God, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've not heard of this. Uh, okay, so. 
long story short, the Max was an independent comic that was a mixed media, wild discretion of a young woman, and she gets tied in with this homeless fellow who also, when they both cross over into the dream time, and there's a lot of aboriginal reference, etc., gets a... He turns into this incredibly muscular rabbit-like creature Mm. and it also turns into this psychological exploration of the cast and it goes some dark places but it sticks the landing it's very good Uh, there were briefly reprints of the series for its anniversary a few years ago i don't know if they're still in print if you can find it it's well worth your time it got an mtv animated adaptation in the 90s when they were doing beavis and butthead and liquid television and had a whole division for this and the cartoon didn't cover the whole series because it wasn't finished at the time but they did their best to match the fact that the book which was made sometimes with art sometimes with mixed media collages representing the world around them and showing things in different frame rates, in different styles, in different artistic takes on the people as they were in and out of the dream time. So yeah, uh, the Max would be a very good comparison for this, and now I'm going to have to put screenshots of that in here. <laughs> I, I'm looking this up now, and like, man, th- this is extremely like, at least it, the style is very 90s grimdark. It, it, yeah, it, it seems very of a vibe. It is, but it's very like earnest in its relation to that in a way that you wouldn't get out of like a Lee Feld comic. So this was one of the first things Image Comics did and Sam Keith came over with the original crew. For what it's worth, any time you see Sam Keith's name, you're going to get something that will stick the landing. Like he he's a guy who plays with fire, but I can't think of a work he did that didn't actually bring down the plane safely at the end and give you a good ending, give you some catharsis, give you a wrap-up. To the point that DC now owns the Max uh, through a lot of weird shit that's happened in the meantime. Um, And they did a recent crossover with Batman, where it was the Max Batman written by Keith, and it's still good. Wild. I actually didn't know about that. Um, yep. Uh, that's. It, it's so weird. Like I, I feel like being able to always stick the landing on a fictional property is like a superpower. Like especially a, since, oh. and like I'm gonna throw this out there because I know I'm talking a lot of sugar about this. Be very careful looking into the Max, anyone who has trauma related to parental figures or sexual assault. Yikes. Uh, yeah, the, it's a good series, and I would not take those elements out of the show. I think they're very much a part of its identity. But also, the list of trigger warnings for the show would kind of be like a small like document. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It runs through the actual psychological consequences and personal damage that sort of thing does. I, I think, like, it's right. grimdark, but it has a genuine empathy for its characters that a lot of other grimdark properties do not, is what I would say. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's not trying to shock you for the most part, but it is saying things happen and you can't just put push them under the rug. Um Yeah. It's just kind of interesting to con- contrast how uh Flip Flowers handles the uh kind of internal logic of its own kind of like characters in relation to trauma as the show goes on as well. Yeah, I, I think I'm gonna have to <laughs> re-record that uh trigger wording. <laughs> well uh, we didn't get a, I don't think we need to on, on the this show. Yeah. I don't think we need to on this episode. I think we'll need to on future episodes. I know. I'm just thinking like I'm reading the the main story arc and it's like literally like yeah. <laughs> Mr. Gone, a serial rapist. Oh, oh yes. Okay. Yes. Jesus. Yes. Yeah. The Max would need a trigger warning. Yeah, that's Our what I current... mean. Yes, yes. Um I feel like the part where we mention it offhand is I we know. can just drop that. That's fair. Yeah. I just it's it's very funny. I like. I, I looked at this and I'm like, "This looks grimdark," because it looks like it's from the '90s. Yeah. And I like re- read the synopsis and I go, "Oh yeah, absolutely." Yeah, it's a lot. Again, yeah. it it lands the plane. That's all I'll say. Cool. Um, so back to back, back to much to happier show. things. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, well, uh, there's a bunny in this. Uh, in yeah, this coconut section. and Paprika are now um, bunny <laughs> girls. Uh, yeah. And um, the the two girls look at each other. It's like, oh yeah, we both got these new bits. And oh wow, uh, Buchan appears as well, who is now just a brain with a big old cyclops eye stalk, just kind of floating around. And like, it's just for that one shot, and then he's back to normal the next shot. Because <laughs> uh, like, you know, yeah, after because like uh, Papika is like gnawing on him. Yeah, uh, both girls start to like salivate. And just kind of stare into space for a second. Papika gives into this urge and immediately starts gnawing on Kokona's arm, and then gnawing on Buchan's arms while his eye is going pain. Mm-hmm. But why did they make the robot able to feel pain? Asks the KC Green comic <laughs> and every bit of media ever. Look! 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 Buchan deserves it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Papika is just like I, I don't. It's just like. I can't help it. It feels really good. Don't you want to bite something? And like she kind of offers her own arm, and Coconut's like, "No, that's that's gross." But she's still doing the little drooling face here and there, and covering her mouth. There is absolutely a metaphor for masturbation, especially with yeah. the drooling ahead of time. So yeah, that's going to be the theme of this episode, especially with Rabbit World. Uh huh. Uh huh. Kona kind of just shakes herself out of it when she notices the tuft of green fur and we get to see like Ukskal and like you know heads off to find him right uh papika is just interested in the the shard which they seem to not have a clear direction on that either but um they they kind of split ways uh, here as uh kakona says her for her to stay behind she's just gonna cause trouble that like tensions hold more in the forefront and then um uh figures watching them in the distance uh so we see kakona just like looking for uksko uh while uh papika and uh, buchan follow uh there's like some hard crystal structures sticking out of the ground you know with the the phrase said it looks so hard um 
there's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like it looks so hard i want to bite it yeah but she doesn't want to do it you know she won't she won't like bring herself down to that level um pika's trying to comfort her uh but uh kakona is just like don't look at me she's embarrassed she runs away again uh and while they uh give uh chase buchan uh points towards the uh, shard and they immediately give up and start going for the shard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Coconut runs off into what looks like a cave. Yeah. Yeah. And, and inside this cave, there's, you know, we see a bunch more fauna. We see like some bits that were like hanging from the ceiling, like dropping liquid. I don't know what's up with that. But it looks like, um, it actually looks like, oh God, pistol of a flower? Um, maybe I'm getting the wrong part of it. Uh, but it's like it's very flower-like. But she also no, that's, sees... that's inscription. <laughs> Again, we are especially... not talking. By the way, we are not talking about the uh, Darling of the Frogs this time. I swear, I swear. I know I got that word from that show, but it's also commonly used as a metaphor with lilies and Yuri. So yes, true, true, true. Uh, so Coconut runs into another. Uh, hard, dark, obelisk-like object. It looks like the same material as, like, that she ran to outside. And she puts her hand on it and feels how hard it is. And then she decides, okay, she's alone now. I'm going to go take a bite. And uh, at one point, she hears a loud clunk, and Coconut pulls away, and there is uh, a slightly too horny, I'd say very too horny, uh, saliva trail <laughs> attached to the to the object when she pulls away. Uh, and behind her, uh, the creature that was watching the girls from afar arrives in this space. Like she doesn't see it, or but he's following them. And meanwhile, Papika reaches the shard and pulls it off. What turns out to be an on-off lever for a device, which is essentially giant. Fine. Okay, so you didn't realize what this was? No. This is the vacuum from outside. Oh, that that's why it has all the sense. windows to stare in. That makes sense. Okay, I did not put that together for whatever reason. <laughs> yep, that's why they're being circled around. They're just stuck in the entrance to the vacuum. Gotcha. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, she's in a vacuum. Uh, and Papika has like a window to look into the space. Like, I guess it's into the main body of it. And... She and Buchan see that Kokoda has gotten carried up in the air and uh, seeing that the various other debris that's also kicked up are starting to cut her, starting to cut her skirt and her arm and stuff. And Papika shouts uh, Kokoda's name. But nevertheless, she's about to get completely owned by this enormous glass bottle with polka dots on it. Like it's like three times the size of her. Uh, we see it make contact and break. However, it turns out a large green, scuzzy, cool-looking, man-sized rabbit in a cloak uh, had jumped in front and shielded her from the blow. And it is a what I, I guess you call it. I called it himbified. Maybe that's not the right <laughs> word, but a himbified huexkull. Huexkull kind of like it, it's a very superhero look. Just very big, square jaw. All of a sudden, very defined facial features. Yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah, let's be real. If we're going to use the modern parlance, this is Chad Wexkel. <laughs> oh, right. It is definitely Chad. Definitely Chad. But their happy reunion is short-lived as they get sucked into another part of the structure, uh, like the vacuum. <laughs> and uh, Papika sees this and begins to panic. Uh, Coconut and Wexkel then become trapped in a cage and put on a hanging conveyor belt, and which is being pulled towards a lake of lava like this is like the part where she kills you in the end of portal so coconut starts trying to chew through the bars and wexkill gives this oh i see what you're thinking look and also joins in but they're running out of time if we follow the vacuum logic this is definitely just everything on campus clearly gets dumped into some incinerator at the end of the yeah. tube okay yeah uh papika is trying to reach them, but keeps getting stuck one layer behind watching through convenient windows. And she's beating on the thing so hard and starts bleeding. Uh, Buchan's eyeball starts going, blood! Just as a convenient way to point out that, yes, that is what is happening. <laughs> Coconut's words about, you know, everyone... What if you die? What if things end? All this. And so, Papika starts to glow, and we get a shot of something on her foot instead of uh, Coconut's thigh also starts glowing. And this is when we have... Alright. Papika now goes God Super Saiyan because <laughs> she gets the giant blue hair, Coconut got the rosé hair, so we have Goku and Goku Black here. That's who we're dealing with as the girls. <laughs> Same or, shades, or 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 uh, as I've they've said on a, a Tumble Chaco podcast, uh, red lesbian, blue lesbian. Ooh, that was my favorite Superman arc. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a joke that none of you get. But yeah, the the cage goes down into the lava, and then Coconut, who embraced Wexkill in the last moment, opens her eyes, and suddenly Papika has got them all in this blue energy bubble. And just fly out. And Coconut's like, what? Papika's like, I got energized. And mm -hmm. Wexkull is still a uh, not chill around Papika at all, despite the new buff appearance hiding behind Coconut. But before they can get too comfy, a giant snake starts coming up the cable, chasing after them, just chomping over and over and turning into this pushing force at their back. So they begin flying out the bubble. We sort of run through the end. Papika can fire little energy balls that stop a grinder at the other end of the chamber for a couple of seconds. And Coconut goes, well, no, no, we just need a couple of seconds. We just need you to time this just right. They get through, they time it, they slip out, and they all pop out into the real world. Yeah, we're very much kind of getting the sense at this point in time that their powers activate whenever they want to do something for the other one, right? But and mm -hmm. as they, that we kind of get that realization, they're back in the the, the real world. They're in the um, uh, courtyard uh, by the uh, Thinker statue, um, which is kind of drawing this kind of direct line between uh consciousness and the uh worlds right just with the mm -hmm. immediate kind of imagery going on um 
uh, Kakona's, you know, relieved that Yuke's school is uh, safe. Um, Papika feels uh, dejected and she was worried that Kakona was going to die and says, like, uh, she, like, understands how she didn't want to go on adventures anymore and is very, like, hurt by that. But, uh, like, realizing, like, oh, yeah, we actually are in danger. But Kakona is, like, uh, kind of flipped in this case, right? She's kind of realizing, like, how fun and amazing it was and uh, extraordinary. And uh, Papika still wants to go back there. Kakona's, like, kind of like, okay, so did you really learn anything? But then, you know, kind of teasing her, and she wants to go back again. And they're very, like, overjoyed by this moment. But uh, Yayaka seems to oversaw the the scene or seems to be aware of mm-hmm. something in some way. Yeah, Kokoda makes it clear that she's like, I will, I'm willing to go, but only if I want to. Yeah, like I, I have to consent to this. But yes, I am interested. Yeah. So this is like when we get introduced to the Kakona uh, is introduced by Papika to uh, Flip Flap, the organization that wants to explore pure illusion. Um, The crew is uh, uh, Sayuri. Hidaka and Dr. Salt, uh, which, you know, Salt kind of ties into, you know, we have, I was going to say, like, seasonings, because, like, paprika's a seasoning, but chocolate's not really a seasoning, so I'm not really sure. Well, is, it cho- is it chocolate or just cocoa? I, I was gonna, if you read it as cocoa powder, it definitely tracks. Oh, yeah, okay, I can see that. Um, various powders. Grain, grainy <laughs> substances. <laughs> Snort your flip flappers um, today. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. Um, no one tells you about the character named Cocaine. <laughs> that would be a Dragon oh, Ball boy. character, and we know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrong. If it was Coca instead of Coca. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, they uh, they're instructed to keep the uh, shards. Uh, and uh, send them to uh, Thomason. Uh, this is a, a really funny like diversion that I want to go on because I looked this up. I'm like, what is it? And it turns out that well, what what it means is it is a piece of like former functioning space that is now like outmoded or broken. Like like what if you had like a door that is like just posted somewhere without a frame around it like it's not separating rooms or anything like it's usually in urban spaces it's something that is like was useful now it is useless but to the point of becoming art and the funniest thing about that is the name thomason is the name of a former mlb player who got signed to a japanese team at the end of the career uh, end of his career, and he was so bad that they eventually just dropped him. And so this guy who was like, uh, like a photographer or like a, like an art photographer, put together this book in the eighties of like these spaces of you know these weird like pseudo art spaces, and he called them Hyper Art Thomason after <laughs> this baseball player. <laughs> That it rules. is like the most hilarious own. <laughs> yeah, like this like random photographer is just ethering this guy, like damn. Yeah, but like when you think about the spaces they show you inside of flip flappers, it does feel very Thomason-esque. 
Like, it is purposefully used. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, yeah. So everyone um, heads down this uh, hallway to this, like, very Escher room. Uh, just very strange ge- geometry going on. Um, they're kind of assigned their uh, main kind of job, their series, what their kind of goal each episode is, is to go into a world and find a shard. Um, uh, Kakona is very much like, as opposed to being like, oh, hey, you're all mad scientists. She's like, but our school doesn't allow students to have jobs. Um, <laughs> which uh, Hideki spouts this line, you know, this very much Kotaro Tatsumi, where he's just like, it's okay because we're not paying you. And he slams the door in her face. Yeah. <laughs> he like cuts her off too. Yeah. Very funny. Um, uh, Can we talk about the weird crew of Flip Flap for a second? Oh, yeah, yeah sure. So we have Dr. Salt, who is basically somewhere between teenage Gento and what the hell was the guy with the glasses in Garen Lagan named? Boy, I don't know. I have not. Didn't everyone in Gurren Logan wear glasses? But, okay, yeah. the one who started Kamiya. Oh yeah. He he's got Kamiya's glasses, and he has the same fuckboy reclining pose all the time. But his fashion sense is very teenaged Gendo. Um, yeah, I mean, like the funny thing is, he's sitting in like a really nice but clearly distressed leather recliner, and has like a lamp, like a vintage-looking lamp next to him. It's like an aesthetic. Like it, look, it looks like the chair. You know what? It looks like the red chair in the first Matrix movie. Yeah. Uh, there is Sayuri, who we haven't had speak much yet. She's kind of the, the personable one out of the staff. She's got a little tracksuit thing going on. Mm-hmm. And then there's Hidaka, who I was looking up to go, what? What gender aesthetic am I supposed to get off of this character? <laughs> Especially wild. with a male voice actor in the West and a female voice actor in the East. Uh, they are apparently male, but the the look is a sundress under some overalls under a lab coat in what is very much butch-at-the-bar energy. Like, I got, like, a real... I don't know what to call I mean, oh fuck, what's his name? The God. Uh, you forgot the uh, most important detail about this uh, outfit, Sybil. Mm-hmm. Sandals with socks. I guess it's a hobby, but... No! <laughs> that's, how, that's how you know he's crazy. <laughs> yeah. The, Hidaka is basically like if you took the very simple and incredibly practical design of Basically, Hidaka is disaster Ritsuko. <laughs> well, he also, he, to me, he reminds me of, like, Andy Warhol for some reason. Like, with that, like, kind of very mod hip cut that's dyed pink. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, like, big round glasses. Like, definitely feels like a weird 60s throwback. I don't know why. that Like, like 60s London for some reason is the thing that pops in my head. Yeah, I can see that. Mm. I could definitely see the Warhol in the face. Yeah, but but this dude, serious manic, super scientist energy all the time, and you know he, he's paired mostly with Sayuri, who's just a normal ass person. 
I don't know how to feel about the fact that this dude has half my work wardrobe. <laughs> Maybe you're a mad scientist. I do have a lab coat with okay. my name on it. <laughs> but do you get shoved in a box and then sent to another? I have actually been shoved in a box at work. Okay, okay. We so had to not, test a crate. Like, you're like third, three quarters there now. Yeah. Shit. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, Hidaka puts the girls in a this like two layer chamber. It's like two boxes. It's a dumb waiter. Like, it's like a dumb yeah. It's like a dumb waiter. Uh, but there's like a a plane between the two boxes. But you, there's enough space when you close the door that they can uh, Papika can reach down uh, towards Coconut, and she does. And Coconut holds her hand, uh, and. Sayuri reports that their impedance is approaching zero. Doesn't I don't know if that means anything. Just techno babble. And Coconut asks Dr. Salt, like, so what's the purpose of the shards? And he replies that they unleash pure illusion. The walls then turn psychedelic for a few seconds until uh, some eyes open up within the swirls, and it looks awesome. And then there's a quick cut, and we see that the box is now empty. And that's the end of the episode. And that happened all post credits, by the way. Whole bit with the uh, with the box they got shoved. In. Uh, yep. Yeah, it's like the eyes opening up is very much kind of like Shinji and the Ava, and the eye opens up on the inside of the cockpit, right? Uh-huh. Uh Yeah. It's a little bit more like kind of symbolically rendered in that, but a very similar vibe. Mm-hmm. It it's a, a good it's noise, an all too. black and red eye. This would be a Kirby villain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, just one of those, like, another brief moments that just kind of, like, immediately makes you question the reality and the safety of the quotation marks real world compared to the uh, pure illusion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That takes us to episode three Pure XLR. And we cold open on an orange desert, and Papika, who has just run out of water and is like definitely wearing like look, let, let's be real, this episode is Mad Max Yuri Road. That's what this episode is. It's like God damn it. <laughs> Not that by joke, pun, but <laughs> mm. but this, mm. this is extremely Mad Max. Yeah. This whole episode. Uh. Because Papika's, like, wearing, like, whatever, like, Desert Raider gear. Uh, and she's wandering through the desert. She's out of water. And she passes out by a maroon tanker. And this Jawa-like creature finds her. And we cut to the intro. I would say this is about 85% Mad Max. Especially, yeah, some of the things like the the tanker in the middle of the sands, etc. Because... Mm-hmm. The, the, the roaming gangs, like the the whole well, like uh like armada that rolls. The last fifteen percent is very fist of the north star. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Especially yeah. the masked gangs. Yep, yep. Uh, it's honestly like this episode. Like it feels like a lot happens in it, and also feels like nothing happens in it. Uh, I, it's, like to me, yeah. I feel like the. We'll talk about the villain here, but this episode is really interesting in that this is the first time they have run into characters that actually have, like, sapience in Pure Illusion. 
right? Because mm-hmm. this is, and at that time, you get the first real like villain speech, and it's really just going for that. Like this is the, <laughs> and really, really cutting down coconut in a way that is, I think, like really interesting. Yeah. Um, it's, um, very. It, it's kind of interesting because we're immediately thrown into pure illusion. Unlike the previous two episodes, this spends its entire episode in pure illusion. Uh, yep. And uh, it also feels like the most formulaic, the most like kind of like normal magical girl episode out of the, the previous three as well. Well, this is also the one where the magical girl actually happens. Yes. Mm-hmm. We, yeah, we, like that's the thing. Like before it was just kind of, yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we uh, Papika wakes up in a you know, little desert hut, and she's surrounded by a bunch of little imps in some kind of robe and the masks from the village in Nier. You know the one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a. I don't know if that's an intentional reference, but so much of this is clearly drawing from Fist and. Mad Max, especially when we get to the big sky boat with men who are on large spikes, s- stapled up, sort of like Max was on the big wire. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Papika is a prisoner, got a big cartoon ball and chain shackled to her leg. The girl who found her does not run away while everyone else does upon seeing she's woken up. But, uh, the. Okay. The jug of water that she shares with Papika, very lovely. The part where it suddenly has a cork with a straw through it, <laughs> and Papika just rips it out and downs the whole thing, is weirdly Looney Tunes. It's, it's, it's pretty funny. It's Looney Tunes, but it's also funny because, like, uh, the whole thing that we see about the kind of forming dynamics between the villagers and the gangs is that this, in the desert kind of look, is that the whole thing about this world is water scarcity apparently yeah but also like these creatures are half the size of papika and so like you can imagine you give a whole jug to one of things like, yeah you'd want to tip it and like maybe go through half the jug but like papika's just like nope all of it mm-hmm. but but it's also very much a papika thing to go straws no fuck that i'm just gonna gulp the whole thing down also putting a straw through the cork it's very funny. Ah. Uh, yeah, we, we learned that the water is rationed. Uh, and this is when the gentlemen who are, yeah, a Fist of the North Star Mook gang show up. And they immediately roll in on a combination of motorcycles, dune buggies, and a giant... Barely not the space battleship Yamato flying through the air propelled by oars. There's also the dude who's just paragliding. Yeah, yeah, like Kite Man is here, right? <laughs> yes. Hell yeah. And uh, so... The <laughs> I hate that you keep referring to them as Jawas in the nose. I don't know what else to call them. They're tiny desert people in robes. <laughs> <laughs> with like with like shiny eyes that you know you just see the eyes through their mask. They're Jawas. Anyway, uh, Papika's just chilling with the friendly one, and we get a little bit of 
Hey, I'm looking for my friend Kokona. I can't smell her anywhere out in the desert. Well, you know, the other night I saw two shooting stars come down and they split off in two directions. Oh, really? That must have been the both of us. Where did she go? And this is when the whole thing is sort of moot, but you know, Papika's hungry. All we have to eat are sweet potatoes. And then the gang rolls up. <laughs> it's Chekhov's sweet potatoes. <laughs> it's really just a series of set pieces and fight scenes. Like, very Magical Girls CQC, very, like, a little bit of Dragon Ball in the DNA. Um, but it's, like, just the energy of that bouncing back and forth. Um, the um, thugs are, like, they're just, like, really goopy mooks. There's really nothing, like, or, like, minions or something like that. Like, there's no real, like, they're not characters. Yeah, they're not characters. They're just like around. Um But what 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 is that they seem to talk with like a very particular accent, like especially like the role there ours, and I have a feeling is that a like a Yakuza reference or something? Like there's gotta be some type of shorthand happen there or like like a delinquent thing. Like the manner in which they speak that I'm probably missing. Uh I'm not sure. I saw no notes on it. I'm just going to go with generic tough mooks, maybe yeah. some Boncho shit. Mm-hmm. Um, Boncho might actually be like a pretty good like stand-in. Um, they're like, um, yeah, they're, basically the fight breaks out. Uh, Papika is like super strong, so she's like taking care of them. Um, you know, she has the like mysterious desert wanderer kind of like look going on as she's in this like torn up robe and like beats them. Mm -hmm. I I like that this one like enormous one tries to fight her and she just like flick, like he has a hook hand and she just like flicks it back and like hits him in the face with it. Mm -hmm. And he's basically out cold. Yeah. Yeah. One shot, which is a direct fist of the North star reference is one of the gang members tries to shoot the town elder with a crossbow bolt and it just gets caught from off screen by a handcuffed Papika. But instead of being Ken holding it in one fist, it's just a very soft, she just kind of snaps it and Mm -hmm. tosses it aside. And they ask like, who the hell are you? And she's like, Papika. Yes. (laughs) She's just like underselling everything because that's just, she just has no sense of like what's going on or like the stakes. Yeah, this is explicitly if you put a pretty cure character into one of the raids from Fist of the North Star. And it's mm-hmm. complete with temperament. Mm. But then a purple shot flies out and hits one of the village houses. And out from the giant ship's main cabin walks out what looks like Kokona in her school uniform still. But she's got some type of cocoon-like mask over her head that looks like Venom. But... Uh, all the gang members are, like, bowing to her and calling her sense, and they're, like, basically saying, like, yeah, go kick her ass. And she's wielding this, like, long gun, like, one-handed, and shoots a few more blasts at the village, and then shoots one straight at Papika, which she blocks, and doing so, she breaks free of her handcuffs. And, uh, she was already released from the ball and chain. It's gone. Um, Kokoda then fires a few more shots until the gun is empty and then throws it aside. And Papika is uh, pissed off by all this because it's like, wait, Papika, is it you? Oh, no, this can't be you. You wouldn't do this. 
you know, I Coconut, hate you. this isn't you, I hate you. Yeah, yeah, this isn't you, I hate you. And uh, they go into, like, a pretty intense hand-to-hand combat here. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's short, but, like, the action's pretty well rendered. Uh, there's a whole bit here on the side where, like, the villain, this is the dance of destiny or something. Like, watch closely talking about this. And I'm like, none of that matters. I don't know what's up with that. It's probably just some genre pastiche that I don't get the reference to. I was wondering, because it, if we were leaning a little harder on the fist bit, we would say, ah, this is, this is two characters, you know, this is two schools coming to blows. This is the peak performance of the Hokuto no Shinken. But I don't know Dance of Destiny in yeah. regards to this. Yeah. I mean, Kokoda does like a bunch of poses that looks kind of like, I don't know, like crane style esque. Like she's got a certain specific fighting style that she's using. I don't know if that's a reference. Probably. But Papika does eventually do her Super Saiyan thing in this fight. But uh, Kokoda is like holding her own and it's actually like pretty much in control. And in a last dish attack, Papika headbutts the mask and passes out. And so the mask shatters, Coconut comes out of this trance, cries, holding Papika, calls her name, blah, blah, blah. And this tender moment is interrupted by a sexy voice from off screen going, it's over already? That's too bad. So coming up, we have the friendly villager who is now using Buchan as a throne. Uh, his mm-hmm. eye is marked servant. <laughs> Today would say simp. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, the And the creature pulls off the mask to reveal, I think there is no other description than sexy Midna from Twilight Princess, really down to the is. body tattoos, down to the dark skin, the little horns. Definitely a late season magical girl villain. Mm-hmm. Decidedly a general in the army, not one of the standard books. Except in this show, she's just the monster of the week. Yep. We can't have that much continuity in any characters who aren't the first few. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you can cut this out, but she does make a return <laughs> in the, at the end of the show. Wow. Like a it's a brief, brief. brief one, but like, I was surprised with that. Anyway. Yeah. I, yeah, we, we will have to have her name because, yes, this is Welwitsha. Uh, it is apparently a desert plant. Thank you for the research, Matt. Mm-hmm. And uh, her hair and some of the way her limbs are designed resemble the plant, which makes the fact that she is still basically just sexy Midna even weirder, which mm-hmm. was that was that Midna's design, too? I don't know. I don't speak Zelda. <laughs> uh, Kokona recognizes her, has a flashback to when she first showed up. They appeared in a temple, which had a bunch of purple sapphic bondage slaves canoodling around. Buchan gets incredibly horny at this, and well, Witcha steps on him until he is totally happy with his place in life. <laughs> but he literally shoots goo, <laughs> but not like that. It just looks like he got owned very hard. Yeah. Uh, Coconut is just like, I'm looking for my friend. And she goes, oh, well, let me help you. And they put the slave mask on her and ta-da, flashback over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is like a really 
interesting bit because like you know going into this and thinking it's gonna have like yuri vibes like this is so like really like sexually like explicit in the way that this character Mm -hmm. acts that it kind of just like throws you out about this you know like i don't know it's just like a lot of the show like has this set tone and then we'll do lots of things that throw you kind of for a loop and this is definitely one of those moments because a lot of the ex- uh, expectation with uh yuri anime is this kind of um uh bossom buddies kind of like vibe you know like mm-hmm. very much subtextual or like very yeah. toned down soft hand holding rather than like yeah explicitly. let me stay by your side forever <laughs> um, and there's like plenty of manga that aren't like that in the genre but the ones that get adapted into anime are usually those specific mm-hmm. ones and for this to yeah. kind of be a uh an original anime that like isn't fully that while the writer is also someone who has worked on that is kind of like interesting yeah the the funny thing is like if you if you want to bring up sweet blue flowers yeah. is that that is a uh, and that is a Yuri property that straddles the line between the old class and then the modern day, more, you could say, LGBT representative. Yeah. Uh, type of Yuri. Like yeah. it bridges that gap because there is sex in that series. Yeah. Oh, God, there so is long. a character. Yeah. And there's a, there's a character who basically says, yes, I'm a, like, not in the literal words, but says, yes, I'm a that type of. Whereas in an old school class S, yeah. none of that would have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I've, I've heard this described as, which makes a lot of sense to me, is that like the, the bondage theming and the, and the sapphicness, just the pure sapphicness of it, really is Kokona's repressed sexuality that she's trying to hold down. And in some ways, the, like the bondage element of like she is tempted by this and she wants these things to happen to her, but she doesn't want to feel responsible for choosing it. So she wants someone to like her up and do things or or something. That was kind of, yeah. um, That was a, I think it was Vry Kaiser uh, from NFM was the one who sort of brought that reading to it. And I thought that that was very apt Uh, because otherwise it just kind of comes out of nowhere. We're Mm. like, Whoa, that's horny. (laughs) And it's like, no, it seems like it's got a purpose to it. And also, you have Kokona losing her agency and losing a bit of her, you know, what's whatever's holding her back. And then, but instead, in this case, it turns violent, sexual, at least when it comes to Papika, right? Yeah, because mm-hmm. um, this character exists to like basically push all these feelings onto Kokona and kind of make her confront things like she might be ignoring, which is kind of interesting because of how much about the emotionality of the connection of these two characters it's kind of pushing to the forefront rather than teasing because the first by episode two and three like it doesn't feel like these characters met met literally yesterday but that is the case yeah yeah no literally um and uh this this person's like oh you know i bet you've been wanting to like just like beat her up all this time how did it feel to like take over her like that like doesn't it feel good you know she's just like immediately like pushing all these feelings and saying the mask amplifies your own feelings you know yeah 
yeah no uh the, yeah the whole i like wrote down like the whole speech that well which he uh does because yeah. I, I mean you pretty much covered it but like yeah it's like really just uh laying it out there being like oh my mask works so well because you're empty inside which you know same <laughs> uh your your soul is so weak that you can't even retain your sense of self like you're nothing wasn't it fun playing the villain uh, you know um, yeah the, the whole line of like uh you could uh feel i bet you can i bet the sensation of her body still lingers on your fist like it's very literally very sensual yeah it is um it's also like uh god the um whole like line you were saying about like you know it works because you're empty like that hit, that actually hits really hard as a line um uh -huh. yeah uh like, I think it, there was a follow-up that was like, you're so lacking in identity, you couldn't control yourself, which is mm -hmm. uh, interesting. Yeah, and like, the whole bit of like, okay, you you played the villain, and you did so well that, like, you know, uh, the, the exact line she follows that up with is like, there's something you want to do, right? Someone you want to be? Come with me and I'll make it happen. Yeah. Like, she wants someone to decide for her she wants and that's like her whole indecision about what to do with her is very indicative of the she follows all the rules but she doesn't know what she wants yeah she wants someone to tell her what to do incidentally uh related to the topics we're discussing the very give and take taboo being made to do things stepping outside of your comfort zone what are roles what is proper this episode is pure XLR. We've been discussing this, but we haven't mentioned that the theme of everything is they are all audio-themed, pure something. Mm -hmm. uh, XLR connectors are incredibly versatile audio gear, mostly audio. There's some video. And they come in male and female. There's varieties that can have up to 10 pins. You could have free-floating female cables and male cables. There's generally a pretty back-and-forth on it. So if you want to read a lot about that, we could read a lot of different takes on gender and roles and what's appropriate, and all sorts of different swapping is happening in the positions of our characters in this episode. On all sides, just reads a a lot of weird subtext into this, by the way. And this is a definitely Hi. isn't the only time it plays with that thing specifically, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. God, I can't wait till episode five. <laughs> you gotta have like this, like, like you said, the kind of back and forth that we we're talking about, like, and then like it's also kind of like a fight scene while this is happening. So there's a bit of like action. The thugs are kind of just shooting people. Mm -hmm. um yeah they, they do not like that uh you know well wishia has buchan you know, buchan has grabbed coconut in a chokehold and is like holding her up in the air uh you know because she's uh still resisting <laughs> yeah 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 and yeah and so like they, one of them shoots uh well wishia in the arm with a crossbow bolt and and she's just like uh time for some pest control and just uh like shoots a vine like like her legs, um, 
like have like little bits that come off it like leaves and that those extend out and like attack things that's like the main way she yeah so there's there's all this uh back and forth going on uh but then papika okay A- after well wishia does this whole speech of like you know join me i'll tell you what to do you can be the villain coconut just flatly says no and well wishia says oh that's too bad i'll just take this shard then and then starts to reach towards the birthmark on Kokona's inner thigh, where we saw the glowing bits before. Just immediate bad touch kind of moment. Just like, please, no. Uh-huh. Yeah, just like, yikes. Uh, and then Papika flies in, hair glowing blue, and throws a punch at Wawishia, who warps away. Uh, she then stomps on Buchan, who then Kokona. And when Kokona asks what happened, Papika just said, I ate a sweet potato. And we see this... <laughs> flashback of like the the Jawas took her away and she was hungry and so cooked this enormous sweet potato that's like twice as big as she is and it's she twice as bu- big as they are <laughs> they're twice as big as it's enormous which by the way have this is like the purple sweet potato with like the yellow flesh have you all had this before yes I oh so. it's so fucking good you know, i am not a fan of sweet potatoes oh. well I, there's a um, when we were in, my wife and I were in Tokyo, we went to a shop that sold, like, the sweet potatoes that were, like, slow-cooked in a clay jar, and it was, like, the most honey-sweet, gooey thing. It was absolutely incredible. That's exactly it. I can understand if you enjoy that taste, but it is so far on the other end of the comfort scale for my mouth. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, but anyway, she eats a bunch of sweet potato, and then she happens to have a fistful of it in her hand. <laughs> And then says to Kokoda, like, say ah, and then just shoves it into her mouth comedically. Yeah, that is very Looney Tunes, by the way, <laughs> since you brought it up, Sybil. Yeah. Uh, Wawashia then tries to interrupt with another vine attack, but uh, they're unfazed, and now they're both glowing uh, with their respective colors. Papika asks, are you ready to go? And then Kokoda says yes, and together they say transform. And again, it's it's dream logic. Of course they suddenly know they have magical girl powers. Nobody explained it to them, but they just do. Oh, and they have a coordinated, like, dance, and they have their lines, like, you know, the, the I will chastise you-like thing, and they have their poses. Yep. And this is a full-on transformation sequence. Uh, it's It's referencing early Sailor Moon, mostly. It's got a bit of the kill-a-kill camera angles that are crawling a little too far up the body and lingering in places. Yeah. But they have uh, tutu-esque designs, a butterfly motif on them, each of their colors matching throughout the uniform. Papika is now pure barrier with a protective skill and shields along her shoulders, and Kokona is pure blade, which absolutely makes sense, as well as, congrats, you now have lesbian Steven Universe fans. <laughs> uh... So, we have a full-on fight scene here. It has named moves, villain banter. Uh, well, Witcha turns into a big old toad-like plant form. Mostly the toad thing in the way the eyes and mouth are shown. Mm-hmm. It knocks the two into space, and we suddenly get to see that this is actually a binary set of planets where the desert is just a big rock, 
and there's a nice spiky metal planet that's just in orbit where all the thugs are from. We pass by and like there's a bunch of people in these masks, a little girl and mother just walking through a city. And they, 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 they see like uh like them flying by and think it's a shooting stars again. Can they make a wish? Thing. <laughs> like like the, the mother has like a leak in a bat. It's just such an incredibly good gag for Nobody asked about where these guys came from, but no, there's just a there's just a paired planet. That's why they come down and raid. And the girls land, they get back on their feet, and they team up with Pure Blade putting out a giant gun, Pure Barrier shoving her energy shield through the back of it to use as ammo. And this becomes a shonen beam duel between both sides of course the plant can make a beam of course the giant gatling gun can make a beam and it's pushing in midair and apparently they they shout full power because they weren't using full power before and then they win or they think they have um yeah they um untransform they're tired like it feels like the fight's over um no one knows what's going on as usual um, and Kakona feels bad for fighting Papika. Um, and as they're, like, kind of, like, getting their, like, apologies out of the way, there is this, um, moment. Uh, in the notes, you have it written as I really, really like you. In every translation I've mm-hmm. seen, it's been, uh, I really, really, lo- yeah. really love you. Or, like, I, yeah, I love, 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 love you, I think is, like, one I've seen. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, I'm basing this off of the, uh, yeah, she says Daisuke. Dai, 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 Daisuke. Mm-hmm. Which is usually, yeah, sometimes like, but often stronger than like. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's kind of interesting because, like, she's saying a word that means a stronger form of life, but she's also repeating it to add emphasis to it. Um, which is a, I think, a reoccurring verbal thing that takes on a lot of different, like, meaning throughout the series, um, which I always found, like, really, like, uh, powerful in terms of, like, when I was, like, younger, I guess, especially in terms of, like, subtext, because it's, like, kind of taking it a little bit beyond subtext by her just oh, repeating yeah. it so much and really just hammering in the word. Mm-hmm. But she's also doing it in a way that's, like, still like impulsive like you know she she's kind of just throwing her feelings out yeah for sure um but like it's really this moment where the the uh kind of girls after all that fighting really establish that they do like each other and like hanging out and going on adventures um but then you know uh like most things that happen they get cut off by something completely left field um and, like, we see more combatants appear in who are, you know, mysterious-looking, very high-tech. Um, you know, we see the uh, two uh, mysterious twins who we've only... They're, like, quiet uh, albino twins who have only, like, kind of showed up just, like, in small scenes here and there. But now they just appear to be these, like, kind of, like, uh, partners for this third mysterious combatant. Yeah, I I like that the the sister is the one with the big fuck off gauntlet, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the the brother is the one who the brother is basically nine ass. Uh, 
right? Yeah. <laughs> He's just shouting out and like calling out where to where to punch. Yeah. Uh the the helmet uh like uh comes off, right? And it reveals that the person who's like kind of stepping in front of them uh is uh Yayaka. She's here in pure illusion. Uh, and she says that they're not going to survive if they go running around the way they are. And uh, as usual, no one knows what is happening. Mm -hmm. Like, it's very cool how they, they kill Oishia. Because, like, uh, Yayaka shoots off uh, what looks like a cable, wraps up Oishia, and then, like, strums it. Like, pulls one end and, like, strums it like a guitar, like, plucks the string, and then Oishia explodes. Uh, it's very cool. Yeah, uh, but their outfits a little too. There's nah. <laughs> the running thing of like outfits a little too sexy for these characters. Still a thing. Um. See, I don't know if this one is meant to look as sexual. It's it's got weird cuts in places, but it's it's a power armor design instead of being the magical girl aesthetic. Yeah, it's more battle like. Um, I, I guess, um, what would you call it? Like bodysuit. Bodysuit. Bodysuit's a good word. Yeah. Behind them, the body of Wawishia, large spherical shard, and Yayaka picks it up. Uh, and when Papika protests, uh, she responds, oh, well, we dealt the killing blow, isn't it right? And the girl twin sort of levels her mecha gauntlet at Kokoda, and uh, they... The, the twins uh, demand that Kokoda tell her, like, how are you able to transform? And Yayaka just says, uh, we already have the, the amorphous. Let's just go. And uh, the twins back down. Yayaka then says, uh, your hole is pretty high up. Yeah, good luck getting out of here. <laughs> and one of the twins drops a capsule, which releases a circle of metallic goo. And the three of them sort of jump in and leave pure illusion. Papika then crawls over and pokes her head and arm into the hole. And like, she gets like, you know, the between dimensions, like stringified, like stretched out bit. Uh, and then on the other side of the hole, she sees a room with a few people in clan like and a handful of the robot soldiers from the end of episode one. Uh, Coconut calls Papika and yanks her out of the hole right before it closes and made this short end of the show. So yeah, that clearly establishes that Yayako works for these weird clan guys. I yep. don't remember what their deal is, but that's great. Uh, the organization is called Asclepius. You know, sort of like the uh, medical staff. Uh, yeah, that's the whole organization, they actually have uh, a giant spire in the room, which has the snake staff at the top glowing red up there. They shove the stone into it, and that light powers the staff even further. So, there's a bit of discussion as the White Cloak says, Ah, that was Papikana, one of the direct drive. And the room just chants, Asclepius, Asclepius. While we zoom out, see this whole big, empty, white room with a big temple ziggurat in the center the staff is on. Mm -hmm. This is very law, order, crush all dissent, everything must be perfect look. And then we head back to Flip Flap HQ, which, you know, is basically a rundown basement that is made out of holes. Mm -hmm. 
So the girls land back in the box they came out of. Papika immediately tells Dr. Salt, Yayaka and some weirdos were there. And he says, we gotta, we gotta wait for your impedance to level out before we talk. Elsewhere, uh, Sayuri and Hidaka are chatting. So, they finally made contact. Well, they're just showing off they can swoop in whenever they want, take things. How convenient. And Sayuri turns over to Dr. Salt, who just says, There is a way. And the episode goes to credits. Uh, yeah, the credits sequence. Um, uh, the credits sequence is kind of like the characters actually just reacting to what happened and processing it, which is really funny that that gets like mitigated to an after credit scene um, because uh, Papika and uh, Kakona just have that moment of like being like, isn't that your friend? And, you know, it, revealing that, yeah, yeah, uh, Yaga could have known uh, Kakona since childhood, but doesn't know what's happening. But then she... No, no, no. Papika's like, childhood? She's like child food. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's um, some fun. There, yeah, it's it's like a like play on words, but also kind of implies that Papika doesn't know what childhood is. Yeah, there, there's a lot about Papika that is very much like felt like she was grown in a lab, or if you want to use the TV tropes, like kind of like born. I, I'm not quite. I wouldn't say born sexy yesterday trope, but I mean like more like born yesterday. Yeah. Um, and uh, then you know, uh, Kakona is just like. You know, she realizes it's late and just, like, rushes off. Um, and we get another one of those kind of, like, lingering home life moments for her where she's missed her. Grandmother's worried. Uh, Kakona, like, is trying to explain but doesn't really say anything. And um, the grandmother's, like, very, like, empathetic and, like, uh, accepting this. And is just, like, you know, glad that you're safe, you know. Like, if you're going to be late, just let me know. And... Uh, it's kind of an interesting dynamic between them that I think we'll understand a little better later on. But that moment is just really, it's a, it's a really stark moment of reality that the show just kind of brings you down to as the the place to end the, uh, third episode. Right. I mean, like, it's kind of setting back, like, the normal stakes, right? Because, like, She's having this adventure, all this other stuff, crazy stuff is happening. But at the same time, she's still, you know, her her grandmother's grandchild and she still has these obligations. Negged on that feels bad because that's not naturally what she does. Like her thing is to follow the rules. So she's feeling really guilty. And her grandmother shows a little bit of kindness. Saying, you know, just kind of like forgiving her and basically saying, just let me know next time. And it kind of lets coconut off the hook at least for you know letting herself off the hook too anyway this is the plot of turning red <laughs> i'm not wrong mm-hmm. anyway with all that done what are you guys thoughts on the first three episodes of flip flapper uh they're uh they're fun uh, they i think they give you a lot to it feels so chaotic, but it also feels really easy to watch at the same time. There are complicated things going on that are, it, it kind of just briefly hits you with heavier implications and just sails the fuck past them for later, right? 
like yeah uh i think it makes it a little easier to watch and also a little bit like oh hey what the fuck is going on with that so you kind of get pulled more into it that way um the the tone really kind of just like it's just really all over the place but not necessarily in a bad way but in a roller coaster ride kind of way um which is kind of fitting because i know when i was looking it up this the director uh kiyotaka uh oshiyama's like first i think work doing an anime original directing an anime original series um and a lot of different elements of it, just like I said, were just kind of like spontaneously kind of like brought together. So its identity is a real like mishmash of different things from the talent working on it, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Like part of it, it, like with the design work is that like, um, if I remember correctly, I think some of the worlds were designed first for the characters and then the like kind of characters were, were kind of like their actual appearance, I think was established from there, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but just really kind of like goes really wild with the sense of uh, design and style in general, which is pretty cool as like a visual treat, despite some of the uh, kind of like uncomfortable weirdness of it at times. Sybil? I am enjoying this revisit. It's interesting coming at it with the knowledge of where the series goes from the start. Uh-huh. Threads uh-huh. are laid down. What seems like dream logic is not entirely such, but I can't say so without turning a 13-episode series into a lot of nudge-nudge, hey, did you know who that guy is in the comics? Kind of asshole fandom sort of thing. That, that's what I feel I like every time I do these hints. Uh, I really should have said up front, if you're interested in watching this show at all, do not check the wiki page. It spoils a big thing, like, right away. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure. Yes, yes, I actually discovered that right there, looking at this, because I had it open for checking names of directors. Yeah, yeah. and I'm like, oh, you look at the that's cast list quick. and you go, literally, the, like, <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, that's the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, uh, boy. Um, yeah, and knowing that specific fact that I'm sure we're all talking around uh, changes a lot of these early episodes. Yeah, we don't even discover part of that until the next episode. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think, like, real talk, I think the early episodes are, like, the strongest of the show by a lot. And, like, episode three is the one that really, like, convinced me that, like, okay, I'm in for the ride. Because uh, it's doing, it's very clearly the genre pest, but it's having a lot of fun. There's good action, but there's also, like, an emotional core to it that is really, really clear. Like, the show isn't long enough to sort of play around with those things like forever especially if you're going to be jumping from perspective to perspective across each episode like who's you know who are we really exploring here and i like yeah episode three i thought was like really really strong uh and the other two are just you know setting the foundations there's a little bit of hinkiness with that whole like the end of episode one going into episode two that i i forgot how that connects to each other but it just seems random uh but yeah like so far, like pretty strong opening, uh, and it hasn't gotten too bad with the fans. Or... Yeah, we will be having content warnings on some later episodes. Uh-huh. It's uh, an interesting show. I forgot a lot of the later stuff that happens. Like, I basically, 
only remembered a little bit of the conceit of the ending, and I didn't remember a lot of the enemy organization. So I'm excited to kind of be reminded about some of the weirder plot elements that I've forgotten about. Uh, it's an interesting show that really likes to keep you on your toes, and I don't think it fully, like, lands with a lot of the kind of what it sets up in the first few episodes and what it turns out to be because the kind of oh, yeah. contrast of things at the beginning, um, it's kind of like almost like hard to keep up its own pace with just because it's so constantly abrupt with things, but still a pretty mm-hmm. fun ride overall, I think. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about how everything by the end. In a few- <laughs> yeah. I'm, Doing my usual keep from being that irritating person who spoils everything and does the nudging constantly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, now now it's it's my temptation to avoid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, Karen Malady. I can be found on Twitter at uh, Sweet N Awful. Uh, and, uh, you know, my uh, additional online writing can be found uh, at uh, deep-hell.com. Uh, every other uh, month, I write essays there. Um, yeah, that's mostly my kind of internet home. Cool. And we will have links in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can drop some links later. Yes. Yeah. Also, listen to Lightning Strikes Thrice if you haven't. Like, just do it. Good, good show. We're finishing yeah, it's uh, three. Three good hosts and Chris. uh accurate accurate yes no no lies detected so we will be back in two weeks with episodes four through six where we will get marooned schooled and depressed see See you next time